the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Monday. This is going to be, uh, for many people, going to be a short week, I think, Russ. I know I've been talking to people around here at the station. A lot of people are leaving on Thursday and making their three-day weekend a five-day weekend since Monday is, of course, Memorial Day, and they're going to get That'd that be a day week off. From today is Memorial Day. Yes. It's going to be, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to take off Thursday. Looking at the parking lot downstairs, it looks like a third of this building is already decided <laughs> to, leave, to leave. You know what I'm saying? Early vacation. I guess. I guess. That's okay. Have fun. By the way, let me remind you, there will not be a, a car and truck driver uh, or doctor show fresh this Saturday. It'd be a best of, just so you know, because they like to take their time off as well. Hey, let's get right to uh, some information for you. Uh, today, the White House hosted a prison reform summit, bringing together leaders from across the country in the prison reform movement for a conversation about the importance of prison reform in the federal prison system. Uh, right on crime uh, signatories, uh, Brooke Rollins and Rebecca Hagelin spoke at the event, as did right on crime director Derek Cohen. Uh, he's a Ph.D. He is with us to start off the show today. And uh, Dr. Cohen, how are you today and uh, how did this meeting go? Uh, not too bad, Dave. Not too bad. It's, uh, it came about, uh, interestingly enough, through, uh, through a listening session back in September. And I know we talked shortly thereafter it because we were talking about the Federal Re- uh, Reentry Council. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this is the natural, uh, the natural progression of that. All right. So the president would like uh, prison reform uh, here in the United States. He spoke about this in his State of the Union message. What is it that he's looking uh, looking for? I know that here in Arkansas, we're trying to do some things just because you can't build enough prisons to put the people in. Well, first of all, you hit the nail right on the head. The delineation between prison reform and sentencing reform is a key one. Uh, prison, you know, under the current bill that's going through Congress and that the president is supporting, uh, nobody will actually have shorter sentences. Nobody that's in the facility currently will receive a shorter sentence, and nobody that offends in the future will ha- be eligible for a shorter sentence. What it does do is, since we're going to release about 95% of these folks at some time, you know, some a lot sooner than others. What it does is saying when they're in that facility, while we have them as a captive audience, if you pardon the pun, uh, what are we doing to actually improve their odds of success? Maybe they don't know how to read. Maybe they uh, lack you know, any sort of trade or even worse, maybe they have a pattern of antisocial thinking or behavior traits uh, that lead them to criminal offending. Well, we can address those, uh, you know, all those elements and make sure that when they're out the door, that they don't they have less of a chance of coming back. And all that means is making sure that when we have them on hand, that we're doing what drives down recidivism or the propensity of them reoffending. All right. So 
I can hear my listeners' uh, minds whirling right now, and they're saying, okay, so we put them in, we treat them, we, we try to, to help them become better citizens, but they go out and they do it again, they go back to prison, what now? And, and that's the thing, and that's the thing. So much of the federal legislation currently is based on improving what works in facilities, and what that includes is making sure we have what's known as a warm handoff. So, you know, the way it works right now is that somebody – let's look at the status quo. Somebody will actually go, and they'll be in the facility, and then they, they reach that arbitrary date, and then they're released without any sort of monitoring on the back end. Now, what this does is expands access to home confinement, which is basically a, you know, those individuals being either in a halfway house or at home but still on federal monitoring, and us being able to watch them in the community that way, which is actually cheaper and more effective and a good segue back into the community. It also means making sure that when they do leave, they have a plan in place, and that is another big element of this uh, of this uh, legislation and some of the activities of the Federal Reentry Council is just making sure that those plans are being generated so someone's not just being released cold turkey. All right. Now, I remember this started down in Texas uh, a few years back, maybe, uh, what, 10 years? Has it been that long? Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, a, little, a little over 10, yeah. Yeah, they started looking at this. And I asked the question then, and I'm going to ask it uh, again now. For instance, we have a a group here in Arkansas. They just said they they just uh, celebrated um, helping people in uh, prisons. One of the main problems in prisons is drug addiction. A lot of people end up in prison because they abuse drugs. They're trying to pay for their drugs. They go out and they steal and they do all kinds of stuff. Uh, this this uh, group is a religious group, and they have almost a 92% success rate. On the other hand, the state group that does just about the same thing has just about, well, it's less than 20%. But if you tried to talk about putting uh, our state prisoners in that system, you'd get all kinds of blowout, uh, blowback from groups that say you can't put them in a religious system. Isn't this something that we need to look at more closely if it's working? Yeah, and that's a really, really good point because a lot of folks don't seem to understand that when you talk about re-enter, or, uh, rehabilitation programming, if they see it just as a you know, faith-based or not faith-based component, they let their, you know, pre-existing, uh, their pre-existing biases in on that. The truth is some of the most effective programs we have are faith-based. Now, those have a certain selection criteria, and they can't take everybody. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not a critical part of, you know, an overall rehabilitation package. One of the issues with the current legislation and that, you know, we saw from the White House uh, last week is basically a, a understanding of this. You know, uh, uh, Representative Go- Congressman Gomer offered a a amendment during the uh, committee markup session on this bill that actually would expand the role of faith-based volunteers in uh, federal prison rehabilitation programs. Now, there could, now I do have to caution, there could be uh, rehabilitation programs, uh, faith-based programs uh, that do not work, and that just depends on whatever the, the model happens to be. But the best thing that you could do at the state or federal level that we've done here in Texas and we see them looking to do 
um, and we see them looking to do in the, the federal uh, legislation is lowering barriers to include faith-based programs. Because even if some do succeed and some don't, you want those that do succeed to have as smooth of a glide path into the facility as possible. Now, again, there's going to be security concerns, as there are whenever you have volunteers in a facility. But what can you do to minimize those security concerns while improving access to these faith-based programs is the best complement of tools to give to any warden. Yeah, I, let's go back to uh, the, the, the state of Texas. And our guest, by the way, is the uh, director of Right on Crime, Dr. Uh, Derek Cohen. And we're talking to him about this uh, prison reform movement. Now, you, you've been involved in this almost from the very beginning. Isn't that not true? That, that is true. We played a strong role in the, uh, in the I'd say, a conservative criminal justice push. Uh, reform push here in Texas, starting in 2005, and you know, notably in 2007, and then we started our national work in 2010. Yeah, I, I think I ran into you when we were at CPAC, and we had time to sit down and and talk at CPAC about this. It, it seems to have taken a a long time to really get a lot of uh, traction. I mean, you all had traction in Texas, but there's. You know, it's just a handful of states that are really at this. I mean, why is everybody so hesitant? Is it because they're afraid they're going to be pa- they're going to be painted, uh, you know, uh, easy on crime? That, that, that is definitely a, a suggestion that has been aired out in the past. I I, I tend to re- re- reserve judgment on that because, I, to be honest with you, I'm not quite sure. I can tell you a lot of the impetus for the reforms we made in Texas. You know, we had to look at things differently solely because of uh, budget constraints we were running up against. You know, we were under a court order under after the uh, Estelle decision that we basically had to build more prisons or we would get in trouble for um, being over capacity. And then it got to a point where we couldn't afford to build any more prisons. And that's where we got to 2005 and 2007. So we looked at the system. We looked at what was actually driving our population. And we said, how can we actually alter this without hurting Uh, public safety. And that tends to be the difference between on the left and the right, uh, you know, where the policy difference is. You know, the right says, yeah, certainly we can lower prison populations, but we need to do it it deliberately and we need to do it with a scalpel to make sure that we don't let dangerous people out, lest we end up with a situation similar to California. You know, on the left, they tend to look at things, and again, painting with a broad brush, saying that, okay, well, you know, we have too many people in prison, so we need, you know, 30% 30% less people in prison. So let's get rid of 30%. Well, that doesn't tell you what 30%. It doesn't tell mm-hmm. you how we should go about doing it. It doesn't even tell you, should there be any sort of a judicial prosecutorial oversight to that, whatever the case may be. And so what we end up doing is we come in with a general policy prescription and it doesn't satisfy everybody. You know, it's, it's in a reform mind. It's not going to satisfy everybody, but it at least has strong public safety bona fides. It makes sure that the folks we're letting out or the processes that we're putting in place are done so in a way with the necessary oversight and so that folks who would harm communities are not getting out any earlier and that when they do get out, that they'll still be continued to be monitored for public safety. Now, Derek, when we come back, I had to get a quick break in here. I'd like to ask you about, you know, changing the tactics with people who are found guilty of, of certain crimes. Do we need to look at because you're a drug addict, perhaps going to prison's not the best thing to do. Perhaps uh, being, you know, treated in a facility would be the better way to to go. And 
Uh, I know that some states have begun doing that as it's showing a propensity for success and things of that nature. Let's talk about what can we do different when we come back. Our guest is, uh, of course, the Right on Crime director, Derek Cohen. Uh, Dr. Cohen will be with us to the bottom of the hour. If you got a question for him, 823-0965. Got the phone lines open to you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back, our guest, Dr. Uh, Derek Cohen. He is the director of Right on Crime. And, uh, doctor, what are some different ways to take care of people that have shown themselves to be antisocial without necessarily having to lock them up and uh, put them in prison? Well, that's that's definitely the at least $24,000 a year question, isn't it, David? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, it, it all depends. And so the criminal justice system as a whole is a very complex apparatus that we use for multiple social purposes. You know, everything from retributivism, you know, making sure that we get our, you know, that we punish duly because, you know, this is a violation against society. And we, we use it for, you know, more benign ends like rehabilitation and uh, even restoration in some cases. And so when it comes to specifically substance abusers, you know, it tends, you know, not everyone's going to respond to the same input. And this is an issue we're dealing with uh, in Texas right now. As a quick aside, you know, most states have uh, county jails and state prisons. We actually have a middle tier here known as state jails. Now, they're run by the state, but they're based on this short-term housing model where someone gets an intense dose of treatment and is then released. The problem is we stopped the treatment part of it and just ended up with, you know, short, a short-term uh, sentence where someone can maybe dry out, not beat the addiction, but maybe dry out, not get any sort of uh, uh, rehabilitation programming. And then we just release them. And the uh, failure rate of that is catastrophic. The recidivism rate is something on the order of 70%. Wow. Just abysmal. And so one of the issues we're looking at now is how can we then intercede with that person's, uh, you know, habit in a, in a way that is, you know, the least intrusive, but with the ability to escalate up the spectrum uh, when that happens. And we work with district attorneys. We work with probation officers. Uh, we work with just about every stakeholder in the system to really get a, a system that works for everybody. And I think we're on the verge of basically, you know, the 2.0 of, of, of Texas reforms that will address just that very issue. How do we deal with these state jail level felons who, you know, maybe have a very small amount of a substance, but it's a, it's a serious substance. It's heroin, it's cocaine, it's, you know, meth. You know, we, we tend to consider these felonies. What can we do to streamline the ability for this person to rehabilitate themselves? So basically having, again, if I could distill it down to a simple uh, talking point, it'd be more, more tools in the toolbox for local uh, district attorneys and judges and making sure that that person is not locked into that uh, sentence of incarceration, even unless it's something that incarceration is necessary to actually get them to desist or if they're a harm to community. So about 10, 20 years ago, let's say about 20 years ago, in fact, you know, the, th- the three strikes you're out policy was around and maybe 30 years, you know, as far as going back a little further than that. And what we found out is that three strikes you're out wasn't working because perhaps the person had been put back into jail the second time because of something serious, got out, and uh, all of a sudden did something silly. And 
they took that as the third strike because that was written into the law. And so now they couldn't get out. And that's kind of the reason we led into a lot of this overcrowding because uh, we didn't give people a way to, you know, stay out of prison. I mean, this is really a complex topic, isn't it? It is. It is. And I, I think that three strikes you're out definitely – you know, it, it's one of those ones where it's, it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, simply because, you know, three strikes policies were enacted to combat, you know, the, the persistent career criminal. And what that person looks like in everyone's head tends to be different. But the way the laws were structured were basically once you have three qualifying offenses and almost immediately after three strikes laws were passed, they went in and started tooling around with the, uh, you know, qualifying offenses because you were getting a lot of the, the, the story that you just described. But once you pass those, you're essentially enacting a mandatory minimum. Yeah. Now, one, th- one thing that we've done in Texas that I think is I think is the way is that we actually have very few mandatory minimums in Texas. What we have is very broad sentencing brackets with escalators on certain specific offenses. Like, you know, a drug offense is one thing, but if you use a gun in it, you're going to do more time, that sort of thing. And so with that particular approach, we weren't locked into these, you know, these sentences where, you know, while they were applying the right amount of time to the, you know, Pablo Escobar style drug traffickers that, you know, the street level dealers who was probably just, you know, selling a little bit of crack to, you know, to to basically feed their habit. We were able to delineate between those two populations of offender, because to be honest with you, they look radically different. And so one of them is eminently treatable and the other is pardon my language, but I'd say evil to its core. Mm -hmm. Um, And the lat, you you know, someone's evil to the core. A lot of that is much harder to uh, to rehabilitate and to fix. But, you know, somebody that's low level and doing a, you know, basically trafficking, quote unquote, in substances only by selling it on the street corner. Those two populations don't look alike. So you want to empower judges and district attorneys to differentiate between the two. How about uh, getting uh, felons jobs? Are we are we having any success? And we've got about two minutes left here. Any success at changing employers' mindsets about you know hiring people who have done their time? Exactly. Actually, they just uh, just a week ago, I believe, uh, uh, the you know the Charles Koch Institute, uh, in partnership with the Society for Human Resources Management, just did a survey on exactly that, and they found that the folks that have actually employed these individuals. You know, that was the, that was the biggest, uh, uh, I would say, alter, alter, alteration in changing their minds is that they've hired these people, and those people have turned out to be great hires for them. Now, this is a, another place where the left and the right disagree. The left says, oh, well, these people have criminal records, so we should punish private employers for inquiring about pr- criminal records. And sometimes even so far as to actually give the employer a misdemeanor criminal record for inquiring about somebody's felony, which is just backwards. So what our approach is simply get government out of the way, offer a, uh, like a civil indemnification for landlords, you know, make it less risky for them to hire these individuals. Also make, make it so that these individuals can, after they've met certain criteria, actually get their records non-disclosed after a certain time or sealed after a certain time. There's a million different ways you can get government out of the way without actually shackling private industry that will actually make private industry want to hire more returning individuals. Dr. Derek Cohen, thanks so much for the time today. Right on crime, good organization. Let's get you back on in the future as uh, new techniques come available. 
You name the time, Dave. I'd be happy to do it. All right. Thank you very much, you know, Dr. Cohen. He's a good man. They're, they're just trying to find better ways than just, you know, putting people in prison. Now, I'm going to be, you know, you know me well enough and been listening to my show long enough that there are some people that should never get out of jail. They should put them in, throw away the key, and be done with it. And they, they say, well, they might be okay. Well, for the most part, there's some of those guys that are never going to be okay. Their recidivism rate is very, very high, and I don't think they should ever see, you know, the blue sky of God's uh, creation ever again. All right, we got news. We'll come back. We got more to talk about on the Dave Ellswick Show. Larry Elder, you couldn't be any more correct. By the way, Larry Elder, one of the top 100 most influential talk show hosts in America, along with Dennis Prager, Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Joe Schultz, and yours hey, truly. Uh, there's a name on there, too. Yeah. Dave Ellswick. There is. It is. We're a part of that top 100 as well. You know what a lot of people don't know? Been there for 15 of the last 18 years. One of the top 100 talk shows for 15 of the last 18 years. That's correct. The only time I wasn't was when I was sitting on the beach because corporations say said they needed to save money, which in the long run didn't save them anything, to be honest with you. And we know who those people were, don't Cut we? Cut them a little time in bankruptcy court. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, on Duck's uh, deal that he's doing on Wednesday, you know, we talked about he's giving away gifts. Check out what he's giving away. You're going to like this. He's giving away a grill. I don't know exactly what grill he's giving away, but I can tell you this much. Knowing Duck, it's going to be a really nice grill. Also, he's got a Duck Unlimited picture uh, that he's going to be giving away, and he's got other prices as well. So I just wanted to mention that to you because I just got that from Duck today. He's giving away a grill, a Duck Unlimited picture, and other prizes will be at Duck's on Wednesday from 2 until 6 p.m. You'll want to come by. He's going to have a... A box, and he'll be happy to let you put your name in that box for uh, the drawing. And if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, stop. Just just, just stop and listen a moment. Uh, you could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, the decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare payment, and your you know and your premiums. Uh, you could avoid that, though, by attending an educational maximizing Social Security class. And that's coming up on Friday, July the 13th. It's hosted by none other than David Lucas. Of course, from the David Lucas show, you hear him every Saturday right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. And you hear him on my show uh, from time or, 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 you know, once in a while, he's going to be on here in the near future again. I want him to get on because there's some other things I want him to talk about. Uh, the workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. It's 18 bucks to take the uh, class. It includes a 34-page workbook maximizing your Social Security benefits. The seating, though, is very limited. It's not like he's going to have 50 people in this class, and he could. Believe me, as many people as try to sign up, he could do 50 or more. Uh, if you've saved $100,000 for retirement, here's the number to call. 
6690. You don't want to leave tens of thousands of dollars in social security lifetime benefits on the table. That's 501-653-6690 or just visit davidlucasfinancial.com. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of people who've gone through these training sessions with Lucas and they say they are fantastic. Well, we all learned over uh, the weekend that uh, it was just an amazing story that broke out about this college professor who was used by the FBI to spy on the Trump campaign. And this before they'd ever opened up any kind, the FBI had opened up any kind of uh, investigation into, quote, the collusion that supposedly happened uh, for, um, you know, can't, before they started looking into the collusion and all that, they were already putting somebody uh, in, in, in this deal. And it turns out that it's a, a professor uh, that uh, that they were using. Uh, I don't know if that story is still up, uh, but uh, Trump went after Brennan today because Brennan's been just such a, you know, a um, uh, hmm, sexual organ about all of this that it's been it's been crazy. Uh, I think that Brennan's scared, just like the the president thinks he's scared. Uh, that uh, he, you know, everybody's going to find out what these people were up, really up to. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing uh, what's going on about this. So let's uh, listen to some audio uh, that we've uh, got today. I want you to listen closely to it. It's important uh, that you... Uh, you pay attention to this because look, I don't think you would be happy if you found out, let's say at your job that a, you know, somebody was put into your work area because they thought you were guilty of something and they were spying on you. And I like Brennan keep saying that they, they weren't out there spying on the president. That's such crap. Of course they were spying on the president. That's why those people were there. L- let's start off by listening to to Clapper. Now Clapper is the same uh, in the same position. And and listen to what he's saying. He was talking to uh uh Kumo on CNN and and uh, and he was talking about, well, this is no big deal. No, I'm not. I think that's uh Actually, very disturbing assault on the independence of the Department of Justice. And uh, I think when the president, this president or any president, tries to use the Department of Justice as kind of a a private investigatory body, that's uh, not good for the country. But it was okay for Obama. It's pretty clear, which is it's not about me, it's about we. Uh, They're spying on me. They could spy on anybody. This is dirty tricks. This is deep state. Uh, This is the surveillance that he feels happened in his 
Trump Tower, even though we don't have any proof of it. It's how they look at the FISA warrants. Dirty deeds. Uh, and he's going to look into it. It'll get political currency. He does have members of his party who back this. What's your concerns about the probe? Well, uh, for exactly the same reason, politicizing uh, what is a legitimate activity on the part, and an important one on the part of the FBI. They, they use formant, informants and have strict rules and protocols under this. And, but the big, the big thing here is this is not about spying on, on his campaign. It's about what the Russians are doing. Were they attempting to infiltrate the campaign? No, no, and that was no, the concern. No. We're going to come back was, to this. Uh, it, in my, my belief is what the focus of, of this whole activity was about. Why do it that way? If, if the concern was the Russians are trying to get to the Trump folk, why not go to them openly? Well, this is one of many uh, techniques you can, observe, you, you can use or bring to bear, the FBI can, uh, in the interest of determining whether uh, there was uh, active efforts on the part of the, by the Russians to infiltrate uh, the campaign, whether it was his campaign or any other campaign. Uh, the important thing here is a foreign nation, particularly an adversary, trying to influence uh, uh, a, a political campaign. And that, that's not good for, for the country. In fact, we ought to think about it as, as, as part of the effort of, of the FBI to, to keep the nation safe and secure and protect our voting process. All right. First of all, it had, this had nothing to do at that point with what was going on with the Russians. This is before the investigation even started. Even started. So they were spying on him. In fact, let's go back. Let, let's listen. One of my favorite people, Judge Napolitano. Love this guy because he's he's one of those guys that, you know, if if the president was wrong about it, he'd say he was wrong about it. But that's not uh, what he what he what he's uh, saying here, uh, dealing about this whole deal. Uh, with what Brennan was up to and what everybody was trying to do, uh, and here here is the point. Let's let me check in with this. This is Justin Politano on John Brennan's vicious response to Trump, and uh, he says he doesn't want this behavior exposed. If they ran a spy ring or an informant ring, and they were paying people uh, within the Trump campaign, if any of that is true. That is an absolute red line. There is not an honest person in this country who can believe that taxpayer dollars going to, to fund this ring and, and operate like this, like what's said in, in the New York Times, I think, it would have quite a, you know, quite a bit of detail on it. If any of that is true, this is a red line in this country. You can't do this to political campaigns. But, but, I mean, this was done, I mean, according to them, this was done in, in the spring. The, I mean, the, before the counterintelligence investigation was even open. If that's true, we need to know about it. Well, I could not agree with him more. I mean, we may be on the precipice uh, of, of exposing uh, a very, very extraordinary, extraordinary 
political use of intelligence and law enforcement by the Obama administration. Now, the other side of this is the, the government can't just investigate anybody it wants. There has to be articulable suspicion. That's a rather low threshold, but it means the government must articulate why and for what law enforcement purpose it is gathering information about a person or an entity. I don't, I don't know if they had that, and, and maybe they did. But the other thing I have to say is it shouldn't surprise people that agents of the intelligence community inveigle their way into private entities because that happens all the time. The, I don't want to scare people, but the CIA and the NSA are in places that most people don't even know of the places. Yeah, but this is very different, Judge. I mean, this is a, a, a major presidential election. Yes, yes. Now, President Obama, basically, it, what it appears to me, uh, politicizing all of his agencies, the DOJ, the FBI, the IRS, the CIA, they were all involved in trying to take down Donald Trump. One of the reasons, I think, that... Uh, Jack Brennan, John Brennan's uh, tweet was so vicious in tone was because he does not want this behavior exposed. He probably was behind it. And in fairness to him, it went on long before he got there and will go on long after he's gone. Now, when you think about that, typically this doesn't happen unless somebody further up the food chain Ask for it to happen. Now, let's understand the president is asking the DOJ to look into this. And he's doing it completely with transparency. He's put it out so everybody knows about it. Media knows about it. You know about it. Everybody knows about it. Lots of stories circulating now that Obama was the one who got this all started and nobody knew about it. Now, when a president of the United States tells the FBI to start investigating another political campaign in the opposing party, you have got You've, you've got what's going to become a constitutional crisis. I'm just telling you, it's going to end up being a constitutional crisis. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so is there a constitutional confrontation coming up between the Trump White House and the Mueller investigation? And uh, this was written by uh, Ted Olson. Can special counsel Robert Mueller require President Trump to testify before a grand jury? Well, that would be unprecedented. His effort to do so would be a major constitutional confrontation. The president could, of course, resist a grand jury subpoena by asserting his right under the Fifth Amendment not to be a witness against himself. However, for political reasons, he may not wish to do that, and he may not need to. Now, the reason... You wouldn't want to take the fifth is because you ask most people when somebody takes the fifth, what's that mean? It may mean that uh, they're guilty. In fact, I would tell you the majority of people would say if he's taken the fifth or, or she's taken the fifth in a case, some uh, person, that it's uh, going to cause you problems. 
Another uh, off-ramp for the president, which he may choose not to take, is to remove the special counsel, because he can do it. Mueller is an appointee of the DOJ, part of the executive branch. He's therefore a subordinate of the president. Trump might have to jump through some hoops to remove him, such as removing the deputy attorney general who selected Mueller, but he has the power to do so. If that is, he's willing to withstand the public outcry and demands for impeachment that are surely going to follow. Legislative measures such as those already introduced in Congress to shackle or impede the president's power, which is ridiculous there. We have three specific branches of government for just that reason, that each branch can use their particular powers. And this is uh, a different branch of those uh, powers, uh, and they're trying to give themselves more power over the executive, the judicial is, uh, or the legislative is. So the president could avoid a grand jury subpoena by removing the official who's threatening to obtain one, but it's another step with potentially grave political implications he may not wish to risk. The president isn't above the law. There are many court decisions saying so, but the Constitution is part of the law, and it makes the president the sole repository of the executive power of the United States. He is therefore not just like any other citizen. As things now stand, Mueller has not made or even attempted to make a record to explain why he would be justified in evoking the power of the judiciary to compel the president to show up before a grand jury without a lawyer and answer whatever questions Mueller and his army of prosecutors may put to him. Two Supreme Court decisions have been cited by some commentators as precedents, uh, precedents authorizing compulsive judiciary authority to force a president to testify before a grand jury but neither case goes nearly that far. Indeed, both decisions are explicitly limited to the unique circumstances that gave rise to them. In the 74 case of United States versus Nixon, the Supreme Court held that the president does not possess an absolute unqualified presidential privilege of immunity from judicial process in all circumstances. The court required Nixon to produce records and tapes relating to certain conversations between the president and others pertaining to specific alleged criminal acts. The court held that the deference ordinarily accorded to the president must, in the circumstances, present it yield to the prosecutor's demonstrated specific need for the particularized evidence in a criminal case. But, quoting Chief Justice John Marshall, sitting as a trial judge in the Aaron Burr, Treason case in 1807, the Nixon court went on to emphasize in no case would a court be required to proceed against the president as against an ordinary individual. The other precedent was Clinton versus Jones, but that's a civil suit. It's totally different than what Mueller would be looking at at bringing. So as things currently stand, Mueller has made no application to a court for a subpoena to the president based on showing a need for specific evidence essential to his prosecution. And even here just recently, Giuliani has said that Mueller tells him he's going to wrap it up 
uh, before September. So we're going to have to see. I, I think Mueller even sees that his chances now have narrowed down uh, a lot. And now that the FBI has been uncovered to have had a mole in the Trump uh, campaign, uh, I think this is going to slowly wrap up and not much is going to come of it. Time for us to take a break. We've got news coming your way. Uh, in the next hour, we'll hear from uh, Kenny Wallace. He's at that motorcyclist for uh, Jan Morgan. Uh, I think it's Trump motorcyclists uh, that are all together down there in Hot Springs. Uh, we'll hear from him, see what he's got to tell us. He's there. Give us a little eyewitness account. I went and voted today over in Cabot. About 10 people voting today. Not what I would call a very, very, um, how we call this, rush on the polls. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back with more. News is next. All right, let's move into the 3 o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, The Trump administration embarking on an unprecedented pressure campaign against Iran meant to to fundamentally change its foreign policy. And U.S. Secretary of State Mike uh, Pompeo was talking about that today. Delivering his first major foreign policy address as top diplomat at the Heritage Foundation, which is a Washington think tank, and you know all about them. You've heard him multiple times here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Pompeo listed 12 sweeping and uncompromising conditions for a new nuke deal with Tehran after President Donald Trump withdrew from the existing one earlier this month. The list is long because Iran's activities are bold in scope, the secretary said, quote, we didn't create the list, they did, unquote. Among the demands are a complete end to Iran's enrichment of uranium, currently allowed at a low level, a, quote, full and public accounting, unquote, to the U.N. of its past experimentation and research on nuke weapons technology, which Israel revealed through the publication of a trove of Iranian atomic files earlier this month, but which Iran has repeatedly denied open-ended access for U.N. inspectors to all sites across Iran at any time, including its military facilities and closure of its ballistic missile program, which is critical to the delivery of nuke warheads, but which Iran has claimed is defensive in nature. Pompeo also included demands separate from Iran's technical uh, work, including the release of U.S. prisoners held without charges or trial, an end to Iran's support for Hamas, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad, and a full withdrawal of Iranian troops from Syria. By the way, uh, that whole Hamas and Hezbollah and Islamic Jihad that's going on, I hope that a lot of you who have been saying, look at the way uh, the Israelis are slaughtering those poor people in Gaza who are coming up to that barrier. Well, 80 people have been killed. 70 of them are definite Hamas people or Hezbollah people. 70 of them. 
there's no telling how many of the rest were paid to sacrifice their lives. The list effectively demands a new Iranian government, although regime change was not among the explicit calls in Pompeo's speech. The secretary claimed the administration is willing to negotiate with the existing regime if it demonstrates a sustained shift in its behavior. But he noted the upcoming 40th anniversary next year of the revolution that brought the Islamic government into power and indicated he does not hold out hope for change at the top. Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, will not live forever, Pompeo said. We will apply unprecedented financial pressure on the Iranian regime. The leaders in Tehran will have no doubt about our seriousness, he added. The sting of uh, san- uh, sanctions will be uh, painful if the regime doesn't change. These will indeed end up being the strongest sanctions in history when we are complete. Pompeo acknowledged that European partners currently bristling over Trump's withdrawal from the 2015 accord, formerly known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, will have to give up economic activity with an Iran faced with these new U.S. sanctions. The European Commission is attempting to implement blocking statutes that would protect EU businesses from the harshest secondary U.S. sanctions, but German Chancellor Angela Merkel has already warned businesses not to have unrealistic expectations over their efficiency. Major French and German corporations have already announced plans to draw down their operations with Iran. Why would you do, you know, work with them if they're not going to have the money to pay you? Because that's what it's going to come down to. We cannot continue to create wealth uh, for the Iranians, Pompeo said, referring to the commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the, the Quads Force, everyone's going to have to participate in this. The secretary said the administration hopes for an agreement with Iran that could garner enough support in Congress for passage of a formal treaty. Two-thirds of the Senate, a bipartisan majority of both houses, disapproved of the JCPOA in 2015, but the political agreement was able to stand as an exact an executive plan uh, of of uh, agent. I mean, Obama. It was never a treaty. I mean, I, I you've heard it. I've heard it. Everybody says the Iran treaty. There is no treaty. There's a signed document uh, with the president. That's it. You don't get a treaty unless Congress or Congress or the Senate gets involved and gives it a two-thirds vote, then it's a treaty. That's uh, the way it works. All right, 13 minutes after 3, Dave Ellswick uh, Show. Coming up at 3.35, uh, we'll hear from Kenny Wallace, see what's going on in the uh, Bikers for Jan rally that's going on down in uh, the uh, Hot Springs area. You can give them a chance to talk to us uh, about that. I also want to come back and uh, talk about, you know, Kennedy. There's uh, 
orgasms going on all over Washington, D.C. You know, is he going to retire? Is he going to retire? Um, I have heard he had already told uh, the people who work as his clerks, he had already told the ones that he was going to accept. It would seem kind of weird to me that he would agree uh, to clerks and uh, be thinking about retiring. And there's a new study out. You're going to love what I got to tell you right here. Uh, that suggests a novel way to pay for road improvements without raising gas taxes. That's all next. Coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. I was talking about Kennedy, Justice Kennedy, and uh, a story from The Hill today says that Washington has whipped itself into a frenzy over rumors of a possible retirement on the Supreme Court. And uh, all eyes are on Justice Anthony Kennedy, who turned 81. He reportedly considered calling it quits last spring. As the uh, court's current term winds to a close, it ends in June 1. Speculation about his plans has again swept the Capitol with court watchers searching for any clues that are out there. Those who say Kennedy is here to stay, at least for now, point to the fact that he's already hired his law clerks for the next term. I don't think he would have hired all four clerks for next year if he was seriously entertaining stepping down, said Carl Tobias, a University of Richmond School of Law professor. I just don't think it's going to happen. But Ian Samuel, a Clemenco fellow and lecturer on law at Harvard Law, who clerked for the late Justice Antonin Scalia, said the small number of cases the court has granted could signal Kennedy is throwing in the towel. The court has only agreed to hear 15 cases so far next term. One possibility is that they are not granting cases because they don't know who their ninth member is going to be. You could imagine Kennedy telling the chief, I like to keep this between us, but I like to retire. And the chief saying, "Let's see who Kennedy Kennedy's replacement is before we grant all these cases." Samuel said. Some said the presence of Kennedy's wife at the final oral arguments of the term could be a sign he's on the way out the door. When Mary Davis was spotted in the courtroom on April 25th, the press corps started buzzing about you know, whether she was there to hear her husband's last round of questioning from the bench. But SCOTUS blogs Mark Walsh reported that the wives of Breyer, Alito, and Gorsuch were seated in the VIP sections as well. Republicans on Capitol Hill have practically been willing Kennedy to retire, which would give the GOP's Senate majority time to confirm his replacement before midterm elections. I mean, when you look at some of these folks, uh, you know, a lot of the folks that have been behind and wanting to see him retire are saying that, uh, well, let's just do this. Last week, Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley uh, said that, uh, that he told conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt he hopes the retirement is announced soon if there's one coming. Uh, 
I hope it's now or with two, two or three weeks because we've got to get this done before election. If you're thinking about quitting this year, then do it yesterday. Kennedy, who was appointed to the bench in nine, uh, 1988 by then-President Ronald Reagan, has gained notoriety as a moderate and pivotal swing voter on the court. He sided with liberals to legalize same-sex marriage, for instance, but helped the uh, court's conservatives strike down limits on campaign contributions. If he were to step down, it would give President uh, Trump uh, his second chance to appoint a justice, and this time his his uh, pick would, of course, shift the uh, balance of the high court decisively to the right, Artemis Ward, a political science professor at Northern Illinois University who wrote the book Deciding to Leave the Politics of Retirement from the United States Supreme Court, said if Kennedy is going to retire, now's the time to do it. Grassley is trying to put public pressure on him to do it now because they may lose control of the Senate. I think that's a big may. I don't think that they're going to lose the Senate. The liberal on gay rights, Ward noted, that Kennedy is, after all, still a Republican. This might be his last chance in life to retire under a Republican president and a Republican-controlled Senate, he said. Occasionally, the justices will announce or at least signal their plans to retire at their reunion with their former law clerks. He says Kennedy holds one of those reunions every five years. Sam Ehrman, an associate law professor at the University of Southern California, uh, the Gould School of Law, who clerked for Kennedy, said he's heard no indication that the justice plans to step down. Chief Justice John Roberts could also announce Kennedy's plans on the last day of the term. In fact, many expect him to deliver the news if the rumors are true. It's entirely possible that Kennedy says on the last day, peace, I'm out said Josh Blackman, Associate Professor of Law at the South Texas College of Law in Houston. The last retirement on the court was Justice John Paul Stevens. The President, Gerald Ford appointee, was 89 when he wrote to the President in April 2010 of his plans to retire at the end of June. Justice David Souter, a George H.W. Bush appointee, was 69 when he announced, uh, told the uh, White House in April 2009 of his plans in, uh, to retire at the end of the term. And the news leaked to the media almost immediately. Justice Sandra Day O'Connor sent a letter to the White House on July 1st, 05, three days after the term ended, notifying the president of her plans to retire upon the confirmation of her replacement the Reagan appointee was 75, but with such a leaky White House, experts aren't expecting Trump to get a heads up uh, or to get a heads up uh, if Kennedy retires. Then again, it's possible that people are watching the wrong justice for a retirement announcement. Samuel said it's entirely possible that Justice Clarence Thomas, the court's leading conservative, sees this as a good time to go spend his golden years traveling the country with his wife in their RV. Sounds less crazy to me than Kennedy saying, I'm tired of being the most powerful man in legal society. Thomas, 69, has not given any public signals that he's considering retirement. 
a Thomas vacancy would be less consequential since Trump is sure to name another conservative to replace him, keeping the court's uh, ideological balance the same. So you want to keep your eyes open for that. Will it or won't it happen? Who knows? We won't know until the last minute anyway. All right, finally, before we get to the news, lawmakers can cover the expense of infrastructural improvements while also keeping gas taxes at historical lows, that according to a report Monday from a a D.C.-based consulting firm, cutting the tax and indexing in uh, it as a percentage of the overall price of gas would boost the highway trust fund while giving America's Americans relief at the pump. Move might also take it off the table as a hot button political issue as uh, midterms would be approaching. Quote, the gas tax is a fixed amount last raised in 1993 because the gas tax is fixed inflation and the cost of infrastructure and improvements in vehicle fuel efficiency have both eroded the real revenues raised by the tax. That's according to Hamilton Place Strategies. They suggest the fee actually erodes as inflationary forces wreak havoc on the fuel prices. The current gas tax fully funded the tools required to finance most federal surface transportation uh, projects, but since 2008, the gap between revenues and expenditures has increased so much that lawmakers have had to appropriate nearly $150 billion from general revenue to keep the highway trust fund in the black. The analysis shows that if Congress had voted in 93 to decrease the then 14 cents federal gas tax to 11 cents, but also indexed it as a percentage of price, the tax would still be generating more revenue for the highway trust fund than the actual increase enacted at the time. The analysis comes a few months after President Donald Trump endorsed a gas tax hike to pay for his 200 billion dollar uh, infrastructure plan. He had supported a 25 cent per gallon hike in the gas tax back in February, said he was open to other ways to pay major infrastructure build out. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on this as well in uh, maybe raising it a little, but indexing it so that it rises with inflation over, over time. Uh, Many Republican lawmakers and conservative groups have opposed gas tax hike proposals in the past, saying it would punish Americans' pocketbooks. All right, we've got news coming up here at uh, 3.30. Then when we come back, uh, we'll be talking to Kenny Wallace. He'll call in, and they've got their uh, whole Trump bikers for Jan going on in Hot Springs. We'll find out what's going on with that. Conduit for Action and Robert Steinbach are still on the horizon here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, Kenny Wallace is out in uh, the Hot Springs area today. There's a special bike rally going on. These are Trump bikers uh, for Jan. That would be Jan Morgan, who is uh, running uh, in the primary against Asa Hutchinson. And let's get uh, Kenny up, find out what's going on out there. Kenny, bring us up to date what's happening. Uh, oh, sorry, Dave. Uh, actually, the Bikers for Trump rally was uh, on Sunday. Oh, okay. It was uh, it was at uh, two. It was at the Garland County Fairgrounds. Uh, I can tell you a lot about what happened here. We had a bunch of 
you know, local activists as well as some other uh, folks from out of state, a group called Bama Carry, and then uh, uh, bikers, of course, from across the nation came by. Uh, had a, you know, we filled the area over there was a at the Garland County Fairgrounds, and uh, of course, uh, we had uh, Nancy Carlton sung the national anthem, and then we had God Bless America before then, and then uh, Jan Morgan got up and gave her speech. Uh, we had a huge attendance from folks. Got a lot of, uh, you know, of course, a lot of the veterans were involved in that movement. Uh, they actually got the hold of the big ginormous flag there right for this thing. Um, but you know, we had a huge, uh, you know, turnout in terms of folks uh, showing up and wanting to get involved. Um, of course, the election is tomorrow. We've had a, what we're doing right now is getting a bunch of folks across the state to wave signs out in front of polling areas, uh, busy intersections, and, of course, uh, push cards, knocking on doors or just leaving the houses and then calling folks on the phone as well. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the, a lot of issues have now come up that, that, she, was, that she had initially in, gotten involved in, such as the school shootings, uh, and it brought up, re-brought up the issue regarding campus carry, uh, which was kind of the, the bill that was, she had testified regarding that got – viral and she talked a little bit about that uh of course a lot of people there open carried you can see footage of this event on keep arkansas youtube account keep arkansas legal type and bikers for trump and then i found another uh video site called youtube uge tube uh that's more conservative and i'm uploading some of the video from that and other events under there now uh but uh dave uh, that's kind of called let people know about that and talk about what's going on uh regarding that issue uh we need a lot more people involved in the primaries. Uh, I, I forget how many people did you say had voted when you went to the vote, Dave? Well, when I when I went to the polls this morning, it was me and about eight or nine other people. There weren't a lot of people there. Yeah, yeah. Turnout at primary elections is very low. It can be anywhere from fifteen to twenty to thirty uh, percent in some cases. Uh, so a handful of people can definitely make the difference in this. Uh, of course, Jan Morgan, when she talked, she talked about the issues that were we had really been, uh, despite having a Republican supermajority, seemed to be compromised. Of course, the 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 right to defend oneself was compromised with campus carry. Uh, the uh, ASA forced the NRA to make a deal uh, with the uh, uh, the big school lobby for the enhanced carry, and then after they left, after he did the press conference and left, he did, he compromised it even more with the ability to exempt out. And that was the, the bill that Jan Morgan testified against. Uh, of course, taxes, he, he brags about the tax cuts that they uh, made regarding the income tax and others, but he leaves out the fact that we have the tire tax, the candy tax, the download tax. Uh, and of course, special elections were allowed to pass through thanks to the Sturge Lurch and other representatives. Uh, and that's, that's had, added millions of dollars in taxes on, you know, sales and property within city and county areas uh, and school choice a lot of those bills were sabotaged uh despite again you know we're a republican supermajority. i might expect that if it were you know democrats running the state legislature but uh we the state of arkansas can certainly do better uh and, you know we don't need to be hiring you know nine hundred thousand dollar consultants or you know trying to sneak a food tax using a tax task force uh, and so what we need to do is get, you know, like I said, get folks out there to support people that actually will fight for re- reduction of government. Uh, and, and so many other issues. I, I have guys contacting me regarding the medical marijuana issue. Uh, 
and the bureaucracy that's basically screwed over people. Now, I just uh, just found out recently that uh, uh, during regarding the John Woods trial, that apparently they and ASA and others were talking about using the medical marijuana the uh, tax uh, money to fund that corrupt, uh, fraudulent ecclesia college, and I, and I've got a lot. I've gotten a few texts and Facebook messages from folks going, "What the heck is this?" And uh, you know, yeah, basically, if you're if you were a supporter of the medical marijuana and you're not satisfied with the way things are going now, uh, yeah, Jan Morgan is actually the person that you need to support. Uh, same thing with if you're sick of the two party system. Uh, or I know some Democrats are, of course, libertarians are. Uh, there's the libertarian candidate, Mark West, but of course, he's not until November. So or right now, in primary, this is the time and probably the best effort to remove uh, what, what we refer to as a Washington, D.C. swamp uh, politician uh, from the governor's seat and replace him with a true conservative. All right. So uh, the, the whole thing yesterday went without a hitch. You had a lot of people there. A lot of people heard what Jan had to say. What's your take thus far? I mean, with a low turnout, my my worries are, if I were a Jan Morgan supporter, is that if the turnout isn't higher than what you would expect, that that means that the status quo is holding. Yes, that's kind of the thing we are worried about. Uh, we don't know how many people absentee or early voted. Uh, it's just the issue of getting folks out. Of course, you know, the state went for 74 percent for Trump. If the majority of people that voted for Trump and, and support his his efforts go out again in this in this Republican primary, uh, we definitely win. We, we change the status quo, um, you know, drain the swamp here in Little Rock, as, as we say. Um, it's just a matter of getting people out there. Uh, that's why we tell people, you know, knock on doors. Uh, we have a lot of activists doing that. You can see on Facebook where we have people waving signs, uh, you know, knocking on doors, leaving material at doors, uh, handing out material at places, making phone calls. Uh, we're, and, you know, we're, we're hoping to do like what David Bratt did to Eric Cantor and really what Trump did to Hillary, which is use U.S. grassroots activism to, to beat the political establishment, the, the pollsters and the pundits who who always, uh, you know, try to, to support the politician that's that's for increasing government the most and we are hoping to prove them wrong as trump did as and david bratt did as ted cruz did as others have done uh in the past well yeah how is everybody feeling with the jan morgan campaign now are are they cautiously optimistic are they very optimistic or, or where are you all right now we're cautiously optimistic. We're very mo- they're very motivated. Uh, we have people, like I said, going all over the place, taking time off work. Uh, I mean, we understand it is an uphill battle. Uh, it's, I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it. Uh, we saw recently that the, I think Jay Barth recently said that, the, that if Jan Morgan defeats Asa Hutchinson, it'll be the biggest political upset in, in Arkansas history. Uh, and, and but you know we've seen where history's been broken before, and it's just again getting people motivated, people that haven't voted for years, people that are sick of the both parties, people that are you know been disenfranchised by the the political system in one way or another, just getting them to to get motivated to vote and to get others to vote. Uh, yeah, do, do you guys worry that people have become so feeling of disenfranchisement that? They're just not going to go to the polls. 
Yeah, I mean that is a concern. I mean, I mean, there's so there's a lot of you know NRA members that are like you know, and, and they've been disappointed with the NRA and other issues before, and they're like, I've, I've given up. I, I don't want to do anything. My vote doesn't matter. Trust me, of course, your vote does matter. I often talk about the Bryant Millage tax, where you know, uh, I, we were vastly outspent, and all the powers that be were for it, and, uh, and we were able to defeat that by eight votes in, in 2015. Uh, and then I've seen some millage elections where it's even closer. Uh, so, yeah, a handful of people can definitely make the difference. And, you know, uh, uh, putting conservatives in power, especially during the GOP primary, does make a huge difference. Uh, you know, I just, you know, one of the disagreements I have with the Convention of States and some of the other plans that people put forward is, you know, you've got to have people in power that are going to implement these ideas. Uh, you know, they're, otherwise they're just going to do what they do with the rest of the Constitution, just ignore uh, whatever you plan you put forth and and that's kind of my problem i have one of the problems i have with the nra is they you know they after the sandy hook shooting and this is something that asa likes to brag about he claimed that he was practically alone in defending gun rights this is a, a you know embezzling lie in and of itself but then he pushed for the main thing he pushed for were these big security measures these really expensive security measures and they didn't really focus more on just simply allowing people to protect themselves in public in schools the way they do in public uh, you know, you walk out your house, you can put a, you can carry a firearm on you. You should be able to do the same the second you walk into a campus. And Asa likes to use the term for these areas as sensitive areas when, when he was giving his uh, Second Amendment as a privilege speech. The only reason they're sensitive areas is because they're politically connected. And he, and, you know, for whatever reason, wants to side with them despite us having a Republican supermajority. Uh, and, and, you know, these, these upgrades that the NRA did were only done in a few schools. One of them was in Clarksville that he often mentions. Mm-hmm. They haven't been done in hardly any other schools. And so uh, – and, and some of the, the leftists point this out. is like, hey, you know, you, you, these upgrades that you promised after Sandy Hook have really been done in a few, a few places. Now, they use it as an excuse to want to ban firearms, but they do have one legitimate point, and that is, you know – it's too expensive to put the metal detector in every single place. I know some some guys say it only costs this much money, but you have to install it, you have to maintain it, you have to have somebody, so you have to hire a guy to put it there, you know, to block off all the exits. Uh, you know, it's just it's just going to take too much money and time. And a real simpler solution is what uh, it was really was the original campus carry bill, uh, which is look, you, you already got a permission slip to carry a firearm, and, and that's a whole other issue. But if you already had that permission slip to carry a firearm and concealed just let them do the same thing if your faculty and staff under the campus and just like many other conservative ideas it gets sabotaged it gets it gets uh, reduced to where it doesn't it's ineffective and then at the same time uh when it comes to election season we got a bunch of politicians dressed like a camo and and you know getting endorsements from so and so and putting expensive ads most of whom are done by washington dc swamp donors uh on tv and radio saying uh in other places saying hey i'm I'm this pro Second Amendment guy, and yet, you know, look where we're at uh, regarding re- we every every after every mass shooting, there seems to be our rights somehow get taken away. The taxes still seem to go up, and government seems to increase. All right, two quick uh, last questions for you. One, let's say Jan doesn't win, but comes close. Let's say she gets forty-five percent of the vote. That that would be a sizable, sizable uh, vote. Do you think that sends a message to the, uh, quote, conservative Republicans in the House and the Senate that are running in November that they had better mind their P's and Q's? 
Absolutely, absolutely. The, as a matter of fact, the fact that she she was even when the when the first poll came out, and and as I said before, the political polling industry is such a scam that they are aren't really worth uh, any kind of investing any time into. But the, the fact that she even got to thirty percent, according to their scam poll, shows that with you know based upon the spending that's being done, it's just is in of itself amazing. You, know, you look at all the compromises Aces had to do along what he normally does. He fired his pro-tax uh, consultant, uh, Randy Bauer, during the um, and the Arkansas Tax Task Force uh, earlier this year. Uh, he, he put in a letter uh, claiming to clarify that he was opposed to the food tax. Of course, we all know he was trying to sneak that through. And I, I know you got a copy of that letter, Dave. I, I put a message to you stating that that letter is about as much as putting an extra page on the Neville Chamberlain, there will be peace in their time papers. Uh, but it definitely sends a strong message. Also, there are a lot of conservatives running for state legislature in the primary, uh, and we're helping, you know, Linda Collins-Smith and uh, Brian King. And it, the fact that we've really forced this issue is, is forcing a lot of the Republicans to say, look, we better actually do something and not just these compromised things like the like the like what happened to campus carry school choice and a whole bunch of other issues. At some point, it, it just becomes when Republicans act a certain way. It just doesn't. There's really no difference between the Republican and the Democrat. Just one increasing government by a slightly uh, lesser amount, and then pretending to be conservative during election. And I think it does send a strong message that if they don't start, uh, you know, really reducing the size and scope of government and, and getting some of our freedoms that have been taken away by Washington D.C., uh, a lot of a lot of Republicans are going to stay home and say we just don't care anymore. All right, quick last question for you. Where is uh, Jan going to be tomorrow night that her supporters can uh, join her and watch the returns? There's the watch party. It's at a hotel in Hot Springs. It's not at the Arlington. Oh, man. That one, uh, it should be on Jan Morgan's website. You can go to janmorgan.com. It should also be on Facebook okay. as well as Twitter. It is going to be in Hot Springs. starts at 630, goes on until uh, the until the you know long into the night probably around nine thirty ten when the results should be in um and then of course uh we'll, we'll give regular updates on what's been going on regarding the elections we'll try to get uh, updates on polling um but yeah she's traveling across the really across the state all yeah she's making Minnesota. she's making one last push i understand that and but i just wanted to know where everybody should gather tomorrow night They've been working hard. Now it's time uh, tomorrow evening to sit back and see what all that hard work brought you. Yeah. Uh, to, to learn more about that and then ways you can still get involved, uh, visit Jan Morgan uh, for governor.com. Okay. Uh, also look us up on Facebook and Twitter. And I, I know the event is in Hot Springs. I mentioned it. Uh, it should be on the on the vi- uh, several of the videos that uh, okay. one of the videos that I put. And it's, you can at, check uh, it's at the Hotel Hot Springs, is that right? Yes, yes, I think that's it. Okay, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for calling in. We're out of time. we got to get a break in. we got the news on our breathing down our neck. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back, final couple of minutes here in uh, this hour. Coming up in the next hour, Conduit for Action will join us. Last hour, Robert Steinbach will join us. And uh, we'll talk. I went over to uh, uh, vote today over by the library in Cabot. And uh, like you heard me tell, um, 
Kenny, there's about nine other people in there. Uh, when I was there, uh, I was, um, there just wasn't a lot of people there. And from what I've understood, uh, I had been getting some updates from Jason Klein and uh, I, I just found out by the way, the reason we haven't heard from Jason is that he was just notified that his father has stage, uh, four cancer, uh, and, uh, not good. And he's gone home, uh, up into, up to Alaska, spend a few days, uh, with him. Uh, it's pancreatic cancer. So that's, uh, that's, uh, sorry to have heard that. And my prayers and, and my uh, condolences are going out to his family. I've already notified him about that. And, uh, because I believe that, you know, prayer does things. So, I spent some time praying uh, for Jason and his family today. But uh, he had been keeping us up to date, and the, the turnout early was not uh, that incredible. Uh, the only thing that I saw of it that was of interest is that, and this could be because of the uh, Jan Morgan and Asa Hutchinson primary, uh, more uh, Republicans had gone out to vote uh, in the primary than Democrats. Uh, considerably more uh, on the uh, absentee ballot. Uh, the, as of uh, about Thursday of last week, there were more Democrat absentee ballots than there were uh, there in the uh, for the Republicans. But Republicans were turning out at the polls uh, in larger numbers uh, than the Democrats were. So we'll have to see if that's a, a good thing for Jan Morgan. But if we're still in that 20, 20 percentile, which is from what I understand where we're at, uh, I'm just going to tell you that does not, I believe, bold well for Jan. Uh, if it was in the you know, 35, 40 percentile, uh, I would have, uh, I'd have more hope uh, for her campaign. But that's not to say that you shouldn't go out and vote. You should. You should go to the polls. Everybody should go to the polls and vote. If you're a Republican, this is a huge, huge time. Uh, this is where you decide who do you want uh, to be you know, the next governor of the state of Arkansas. That's why you have primaries. And uh, it's the same way when you're voting for you know, representative, or if you're voting for uh, senators or whatever it is you're voting for, but you need to go and vote. I can just tell you there in Cabot voting location I went to uh, today was right over there by the uh, uh, Cabot Library on uh, 89. So with that in mind, and it stopped raining, you have no reason not to go. It was raining when I was there. Couldn't believe it. I didn't melt. I'll be back with you. Conduit for action here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into the 4 o'clock hour. Some of you are on your way home, and uh, that's a good thing. Number one, school's out, so the school buses aren't out. So it should help the traffic flow a little bit more today. There won't be as many cars on the road. And uh, secondly, what can I tell you? You get to go home first. (laughs) That's always a good thing, to say the least. All right, with uh, everything going on right now, let's, uh, you know, we're, we're the last day of early voting. Tomorrow is the primary election. It has come on 
quick here in the, the last two weeks. Been amazing how fast uh, the time has disappeared. But uh, before I ask uh, Brendan Joe of Conduit for Action what they think about what's going on out there at the polls, and we'll put on our Swami hats and get out our crystal balls a little bit and hold an envelope up on, on our forehead and you know see what see what Swami has to say. Uh, I I wanted to talk to him about a national uh, story. And that's this story that's going on, uh, Joe and, and Brenda, about the president and about the FBI having uh, an undercover informant in the Trump campaign uh, before there was any kind of, uh, you know, investigation going on. And the word being starting to leak out now that President Obama was the one that was directing this. This is very concerning. Would you not agree to that? I would. Uh, I would say that it's been very interesting to me that Obama's name has been kept out of this all along, which I wasn't buying from day one. Was anybody else? But you know, uh, sort of like out of respect or fear or whatever, he wasn't. He was never implicated. Mm-hmm. There, there's a, a huge wave that started probably more than eight or ten years ago, that the government has reached such critical mass, and I think the leftists think that their hand has played out to where they're, they're going to win. I think they, they, they went to the extreme to push it over the finish line so that we could never go back to America. Uh, you know, we'd be a, more of a globalist society. Um, maybe, they, maybe they just peaked too soon. Well, I, you know, here's what concerns me. This smacks of what, as young people, you know, we thought of the Soviet Union. Now the Soviet Union is us. Well, it, it all starts if you, if you believe, if your fundamental belief system allows you to rationalize that any means are justified by the, end, you know, by the ends, then, then anything goes. I mean, this, this is not out of the realm of, of rationality. If your goal is to put America on par with the rest of the world because of whatever reason, uh, then there's nothing that's off limits as long as it gets you to a noble goal. Means you know, the ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. I mean, that, if, if you, you either believe that or you don't. And I, and I think that we've seen, even in local races, people that are willing to win at any cost. You know, how you play the game does not matter anymore. Well, I, I guess, you know, I'm used to politicians lying. You know, I we've all seen that happen. But I have never, that I can remember, knowing that the FBI was putting moles into campaigns at the behest of a sitting president. That That's scary, folks. That's really scary. As I said, that... When the thing with the IRS came out and a lot of the other stuff that was coming out during the Obama administration, uh, this you know this was very very uh, constitutional crisis stuff as far as I was concerned. I think in any other administration during my lifetime or maturity at a level of understanding what was going on, and whether it be governor or president. There has never been uh, activity by an agency that wasn't 
presented at the feet of the leader, the head, whether we're talking about ASA and, you know, whatever is going on. But this has always been Obama's fault. He was in control, you know, Benghazi, whatever. You can say Hillary did this, but Obama has been the guy who's been behind all of the strings. He's not a sitting, uh, you know, puppet. I think it goes upstream from that, though. The president is not the head of this globalist thing. You know, it's, well, I understand what you're Soros saying, too, that, of course. You know, and, and what about J. Edgar Hoover? I mean, do oh, yeah. things equal to this? So it's not like we haven't been here before, but I think we just, as Americans, are communicating more clearly and openly, and there's more media and transparency than there's ever been. And, and now it's like everybody's guilty of everything all the time, so who do you— you know, you can't believe anybody now. Yeah, who, who do Obama you believe? Was first running for president, what he said he wanted to do, I heard clearly, and what I saw him do, he did it, and so did his agencies and the people under him. They were accomplishing what he said all along he wanted to accomplish. Yeah, fundamentally changed this like country. And had nothing to do with it. I find rather shocking. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was a fundamental transformation, certainly, uh, yeah. in, in ethics, if nothing else. Yeah, I did. But, there was more just than ethics. There was so many things that were were changed, and he threw out so much stuff at once that uh, people on the right, we didn't know which way to turn. I mean, it came from every direction possible. It was it was crazy. All right, enough You're about exactly right. You know, enough about that. But I mean, seriously, this whole thing with the FBI has got me really concerned, and. Uh, the, the DOJ uh, IG report came out today, and that ripped the FBI leadership uh, for heel-dragging the Hillary probe that was going on. I mean, you have to be literally blind to this to not see how all of this was working together. Well, as Joe has said often about Arkansas, Yes, these are horrible problems. Yes, it could be the downfall of what we know to be freedom. But who do we tell now? Yeah. Where do we go? Who do we tell? You know, in other words, who do you go to that can redeem this? The only hope we have are the the vote of the people, ultimately, and they can be kept in the dark because of the media and all to such a level, you know, we need to be telling God. What I think is that if if you tell everybody everything that is true, if that's possible, some people are still going to do what they do because they want those ends. They don't care what Hillary does or what Ronald Reagan does or what anybody does as long as the ends that they espouse are realized. And, and if that's the case, the pendulum is going to swing back until one day it just falls off the peg. All right, well, when we come back, let's talk about uh, the primary that will finish up tomorrow, about a little over 20% looks like is going to be the turnout for this election. And I, I'd like to talk to you both about what do you take from that? Now, more Republicans are voting uh, than Democrats, evidently, uh, other than in uh, uh, ballots that are are being sent in. But uh, as far as going to the polls, the Republicans leading uh, the Democrats, so perhaps not the uh, huge blue wave that the Democrats thought that they were going to get this uh, to get this election, and I think that's going to play out across the country as well come November. With that in mind, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we'll talk further with Brenda and Joe for Conduit for Action, conduitforaction.com. 
O-R-G, read their articles there. You know, if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, stop for a moment. You could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime benefits for Social Security. The decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes. It could double your Medicare premiums. And uh, you want to be able to avoid that. And you can help yourself uh, avoid this by attending an educational maximizing Social Security class Friday, July the 13th, being hosted by David Lucas from the David Lucas Show right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. That workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. Registration, 18 bucks includes a 34-page workbook called Maximizing Your Social Security Benefits. Now, seating is very limited. There's not going to be like 100 people at one of these. Uh, they're going to cut it off at 25 or 30. If you've saved $100,000 for retirement, call 501-653-6690. And don't leave tens of thousands of your dollars in Social Security benefits on the table. Again, that number, 501-653-6690, or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. We're we're back, and uh, Brenda and Joe are our guests as uh, normal at the 4 o'clock hour on a Monday. We are the last day of early voting today. Tomorrow is the primary day. I, I know a few people who are, they you know, they just want to be you know, traditionalist and uh, vote on uh, the primary or election day. Uh, I typically vote earlier than this, about a week earlier, but I've uh, had so many things going on that I voted today. I went this morning. There was only about eight other people at the polling place with me there in Cabot. And I'm going to give uh, Cabot a shout out here. They did a really nice job. It worked there very very smoothly walked up gave him my driver's license put it in the machine uh, told the lady wrote the number down gave it to the guy at the polling place right there at the voting machine and put in the right uh, you know ballot for me and i was in and done in about seven minutes it didn't take me a long time didn't have a lot of things to to vote for uh i will take tell all my friends at cabot i voted against the millage increase and so should you all right with that said let's get back to brenda and to i will never vote to raise my taxes uh let's get back and talk to brenda and and joe some more i was just saying that uh, before we left uh in that last break that been a little thin uh for this i thought there would be a lot more people going to the polls early on just like they did in the primaries uh for presidency a couple of years ago when you had, of course, Trump and you had Cruz uh, and, uh, I mean, a lot of people, lines, had to wait to vote. Not so, not on this one. And this, it, I know that you all are Jan Morgan supporters. Uh, that's got to be kind, kind of conserving, uh, concerning, is it not? I don't know. I, I think, you know, there are no rules the last few elections, two or three election cycles. And so to, to use the past as a precedent for this election, I'm not sure it works that way, because I would predict that Jan's supporters are more motivated to vote. Well, well, one thing that you can't argue is that the people who turn out to vote will win. <laughs> and, you know, That's that, good, I mean, Joe. I like that. Simple to say, <laughs> but, you know, if, if people sit back 
something that we have tried to explain. If you're sitting back and waiting to vote on the President of the United States to save you from all the ills from Washington back down to your city council, gonna happen. You're, you're not going to end well. Mm-hmm. You know, people have to educate themselves at every level and not just take the word for it. Well, that, the reason... That's because people don't. Yeah, it's because people don't understand, Joe. We've talked about this uh, before. State government, city government, county government—that's the government that has more impact on you than the federal government ever did. Well, or at least it should. You know, know, we call that waiting on a savior, uh, and and we tell folks that uh, when we're in front of them, that we tell them, "Look, you're the savior. Go out, educate people, and vote." There's not going to be one person we vote for ever that's going to do the things that need to be done in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I just you know I, the ads we're all hearing, you know, it's Washington style politics as usual, even in, in Arkansas. Well, the ads are simply a reaction to what works or has worked in the past, and and we complain about the negative ads. Just about everybody does. They work, but. That's what works. And the alternative to that is two candidates come out and say the same exact words. They both, you know, our, our governor believes and says the same things that Jan Morgan does, but he's got a record. So how can you do anything but a negative ad to say, look, this is what he says versus this is what he does? Mm-hmm. Well, is that negative? Or is no, that I don't, th- I don't think that's negative. That and how this election cycle may be different and not predictable. We've seen a lot of negative mailers, for example, in some of these Senate races, and quite amazing, actually, some of them. And I think Ch- Chase Duggar, as the political consultant probably designing these, will get to see if that negative approach works, because there certainly were some strong ones in Dan Sullivan's race. Uh, there have been in, in uh, Brian King's race. And, uh, well, but but we got to define negative. What is negative? Is, is negative something that is not true? Yes. Well... Negative can also be. Well, I mean, you're right. You know, this, this guy you now stole money. Well, either he did or he didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, negative is the truth. I don't have a problem with. Now, do you, Dave? No. Here's. I don't think it's negative as long as you can back it up with actual facts. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about that last week, didn't we? About yeah. people accusing us of being what this or that, but there's not ever one person that's called in that's had any credible proof of anything we've ever been wrong about. Yeah, we usually get the line, hey, I agree with you, you know, 90% of the time, but I just don't like your approach. And so as soon as someone gives us a better approach, we'll certainly endorse it. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll take suggestions, buddy. Yeah, I mean, seriously, if you want to, let's take uh, any kind of subject that anybody gets in. Let's let's go up to the uh, the race with... uh, that's uh, going up there with Sturch and Linda Collins Smith, you know, both of them saying that uh, they're both, uh, you know, Second Amendment people. But how about doing a little research, folks, about who is really the Second Amendment person? And it's by there's no argument that Linda Collins Smith is the most Second Amendment loving person that's running for that office up there. Well, that was a great example. And also in that race, uh, Sturge is claiming he's the school choice candidate. Oh, I that's mean, such crap. Is this a joke? <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, this guy, you know, I did you guys read the article in the paper today that, that they had on that race? 
No. Yeah. They don't put they, them all up here. So oh, okay. So it was in there. They they had the, the article in there. Sturge said that he wasn't for, <laughs> it makes me laugh, he wasn't for vouchers, but he was for school choice. Then you're not for school choice if you're not for vouchers. I'm sorry. That's well, that's, the, that's example, the perfect way for no, people to do uh, it. Real meaning when you're starting to talk about these mailers and, and well, it, well, the same way we, we just heard, heard an ad about uh, you know standing tall and firm for the Second Amendment. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, look, um, I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Brenda Collins. I read Brenda. Sorry, Linda Collins Smith, and I wasn't at first. I mean, I. Do you guys know the story about the first time that we met at one of the conservative meetings there uh, downstairs at the Capitol and we were having lunch and she came forth and said that she was going to change from being a Democrat to a Republican? I pelted her with about 20 questions in rapid fire because I don't buy that stuff when Democrats say, I'm really a Republican. Yeah, sure. uh Uh-huh. Well, she's proven herself to me. Now, she is one of the most conservative uh, senators that we've got there at the Capitol. I love that woman. She's a great lady. Well, we, we'll go ahead and, you know, I appreciate it when people report on themselves. And I just got a text thanking us. I want to report that uh, this is the first year, I think, we got $100 or something like that one time to a Democrat candidate in the uh, Russellville area. And, uh, you know, we gave a donation to a libertarian candidate who has a, uh, you know, there's a Republican, no primary. And uh, so that ought to get very interesting. But, you know, it's the position that the candidates take that people have to understand. And when the words, like Joe just said, they're using the same words, you know, what are voters to do? Well, obviously, you and I and Joe, we know the difference. But how do the voters um, discern the difference? And, uh, you know, I think one of the most concerning aspects is, We've identified problems with the legislature. We've identified problems with the executive branch. And now when we look at the judiciary and what's going on with those lawsuits, and, of course, to see a, a judge up here rule and put advertisements on hold and, and then recuse himself, whose wife was employed by the judge's husband, I mean, I am so shocked and speechless as an attorney. I can hardly get my breath, but the voters don't understand this. All right. I need you, I, 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 Joe, Joe, I need you to hold on. We got news. We got, we got a lot to talk about yet here today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Brendan, Joe, conduit for action with us. Let's get our news in, and then we'll come back and talk further with our guests. All right. Don't forget about Safari Pets, 808 West Main and Cabot, 628 uh, is your phone number. They're doing a soft opening in uh, Conway. Uh, you can make your way over there to uh, Safari Pets. Check it out in Conway. We'll have more on that uh, as uh, the week goes on and next week for sure. Uh, Safari Pets in Cabot, their main uh, location, the largest independent pet store in Arkansas, offers grooming, offers everything you'll need for taking care of your pet or pets, whether they're just a traditional dog or cat or your more exotic pets like, uh, you know, the the birds from South America and Africa, saltwater fish, ferrets, chinchillas, snakes, you know, the ball-headed pythons or the bearded dragon lizards or even 
Uh, it's true. a ball python, not a ball-headed oh, okay. python. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about myself. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, tarantulas and scorpions and everything else that you might consider a pet. Safari Pets, 800 West Main in Cabot. It is the uh, largest independent pet store in Arkansas. All right, Brenda and Joe back with us. Uh, they're up in the northwest Arkansas area. I wanted, I got the paper. I went and got the paper because I wanted to read this statement from the District 19 race by Sturch. Uh, uh, Linda Collins-Smith offered to rebuke the Sturch's re- record on school choice, bringing up his vote against legislation to create a pilot program for school vouchers. She said Sturch has been declaring himself, quote, the only school choice candidate, unquote. Uh, Sturge denied using that language. He said he, okay, here you go, guys. Listen closely to this. This is hilarious. He said he voted against the voucher pilot program because he heard from many of his constituents who opposed it, but he did not believe it was in the same vein as other bills, giving parents more opportunities to pick their children's schools. Quote, I'm not against school choice. It's kind of a misnomer because it's a voucher program, unquote. Now, if you ask me, a voucher program is the ultimate school choice because the, the money uh, that the state gets follows the parent and they can go to whatever school they want to. How much school choice do you want? That's school choice there. I just, if the people in District eight or 19 can't read that and see the difference between Sturch and, and Linda Collins-Smith, then uh, I worry about what the voters are like in that area. Well, it was uh, Senator, I think I'll go ahead and call him out, Senator Scott Flippo, who told me, yeah, Brenda, we can educate the voters, but it's really expensive, isn't it? And uh, it, that reminds me of when people like Eddie Joe Williams or Jane English or a long list of candidates said Obama, Medicaid expansion is not Obamacare. Uh-huh. And the poor voters don't go in and study it like we do. And, you know, he has a nice smile, and he says, oh, I'm for school. He could even say, that's the first bill I ever spoke uh, spoke on in my entire four years of legislative history. And, and he may not bring up the fact he's voting, he's speaking against it, you know. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you, you know this as well as anybody. Uh, the message from the establishment is easy to get out because it's in every newspaper, every television, and every time – uh, there's a baby to kiss or a bow to tie or a ribbon to cut. Those politicians are there getting their message out in public for free. And if it's somebody like me or you or, or Brenda, we've got to pay through the nose every time or go out and hustle advertisers and whatnot, you know? And, yeah. yeah, and the title to the article, you know, what's the title, uh, Dave? Read me the title uh, to the on. article you're reading. I got a, let me get the front page here. I didn't, I got out of it there. Where is it at? Uh, uh, that's 33. Where is it? I got to find well, there, There's another subject that Brenda would like to talk about. And I, I, it's very, it's way more important than people would realize by the general subject matter. Uh, while you're looking for that, I just wanted to introduce that as, as maybe our next subject. It's about the judicial branch of corruption that is attributed, attributing, adding to the uh, the legislative and executive branch corruptions that we're, we're trying to stop. All right, here's what it says, Brenda. Battle over health care, guns, 
Mark's Senate race by John Moritz. Okay, so that that's pretty benign, but it certainly doesn't mention school choice, which no. is one of his mailers. It's a top issue, and uh, you'd never know it. But I, one thing that I have noticed, Joe, Joe just touched on it, is you know the the press, uh, for the most part, has a leaning one direction or the other, and I would say they were opposed to school choice. Oh, I and, you know because yeah. they're more progressive in philosophy. And we have learned through the last election cycle and this current election cycle that if the press will at least be neutral, you can accomplish a lot more. But I predict that the way that article is written is not nearly as stinging as you and I might write it. Yeah. I, I just think it's just crazy, though, that uh, you know, if Sturge is that's the best that he can do, uh, he's got he's got trouble, I would think. But. That may not be the case. I have no idea how. How are you seeing this this race in nineteen shaping up? Does Sturch have the inside track, or does uh, Linda Collins Smith? I mean, she's got a record that people know that she's a conservative. Well, that's why I said earlier that the people who turn out to vote win. They win every time. <laughs> we, we worked at Linda's race four years ago, and I was very shocked. I mean, I had a mentality of what was what her district was looking like, and uh, her votes were much more substantial in her favor than it appeared on the ground. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, area over there. Batesville, is, uh, th- th- those people work hard. They've got a nice economic base, a lot of, a lot of good industry over there. They're, they're pretty common sense, you know, get it done kind of people, and I think that they'll see what the real deal is. Thank but the cor- progressive yeah, but- voice in that area is much louder and uh, right. Linda, Linda was subjected to that in the prior election, and uh, they can call it what they want, but the progressives are the ones supporting Sturge. Yeah, yeah, and they're louder, like you said. You know, loud doesn't mean majority. No, Cherokee Village would be the area that the progressives come out of. Maybe, maybe in the college area as well, kind of yeah. like up here in Fayetteville. All right. So anyway, bottom line is I'm going to be interested. There's a few races that I'll be following uh, tomorrow night, of course, the governor's race is won. Uh, the the, the uh, race that's out there in the, the northwest part of the state uh, between Brian King and Bob Ballinger, I'll be paying attention to that. I'll be paying attention to this one between Linda Collins-Smith and, and Sturch. You know, if, if Linda Collins-Smith wins, if uh, uh, Ballinger would lose, uh, it would that would be quite a repudiation of the governor, would it not? Well, uh, the one you forgot to mention is... Uh, uh, oh, Douglas. In uh, North, northeast Arkansas, Dan Sullivan, and that, uh, that Peck fella. Oh, yeah. Pe- that's, uh, he, I'm he sorry. Was, he was outed as a liar uh, on the front page of the paper. So, And, and we, we looked up his campaign contributions, and you know, anybody who would take just that one step could see what the money behind him is interested in, and that's Medicaid expansion, it's all health care. And, well, and yeah. you know, it's very clear, but no, not everybody can take the time, has the resources to look all this stuff up, and that's what we try to do. One of your favorite uh, senators, you know, John Cooper, is a staunch supporter of PEC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, like Cooper, what a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Two liars hanging out with each other. That's a big surprise. <laughs> well, hey, uh, let, let 
Brenda, talk about this judge thing up here in our neck of the woods. Well, I mean, it's oh yeah, right? I've been I've been talking about that since it happened, and I thought it was funny on Friday. This new judge comes in and says, "Turn the ads back on." <laughs> I mean, come on, it's a First Amendment. Well, I mean, thing. he was overturning a ruling by. Um, you know, a judge up here in Fayetteville whose wife works for Goodson's husband. Right. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't get more egregious than that from the legal perspective. And I don't know if there's a, a movement to ask for his resignation as judge or not, but us who sit by and go, isn't that terrible, you know, who are in uh, career industry or voter or whatever, it's incumbent on us to quit turning a blind eye to that kind of action and take a step toward fixing it, you know? Well, here's the key. If if I was thinking about voting against her because of the black money, <laughs> you know, that was being spent, because I think that's a First Amendment issue. I had Hickson on uh, Friday, and, he, you know, he said that he's all about the First Amendment. Then he said, but. And that's when I knew he wasn't for the first uh, first amendment. But the bottom line is, if that wasn't enough to get me not to vote for, this would definitely get me not to vote for because that meant she made sure she got in front of that judge who she knew would go her way. Well, and then said, ask him to recuse. And, of course, he did uh, recuse when she asked, which shows he knew he should have recused to start with or else he would have said no. But, um, you know, to then, Joe's telling me to slow down, uh, then to, to recuse but to leave his ruling in place so that those ads did not run. Yep. I mean, you know, sort of like filing a lawsuit, you don't care whether you win or lose, you just want the publicity. I mean, that he accomplished what he was after, and it's, you know, it's most egregious, but the dark money is going to be an issue that's going to come up. People need to get educated. And what that simply is, it means we do not know who their donors are. But these are not election, this is not election money. This is free press, I mean, this is free speech money. Yeah. Political speech is the most protected in this country. Yep. Now, now Doug Martin, that judge, is Doug Martin. Right. And he's got nothing, Eric Holder's got nothing on this guy. <laughs> uh, now, you know, on the, on the dark money, I, I heard Kenneth Hickson's, I, I know Kenneth. And uh, you know, I like him. He's you mean you know him because he sued you before? Yeah, yeah. First time I met him, he was suing me for $100,000 uh, <laughs> and, and lost. Uh, but uh, he's a decent enough guy. But, uh, you know, the, the part that he doesn't factor in is when the only reason people want this the donors exposed is so that they can go harass the donors to dry up your base. I'm going to ask Donnie Copeland about that. And, and I know that you probably talked about this last week, and there is an article, I believe, in today's paper or the weekend. I mean, I asked uh, Judge Hickson when he was at our county committee last week or had him ask if this – he was bashing dark money, as you know he's done, and asked him if the, if the issue comes before him, will he recuse himself? Because, remember, you can't ask judges questions about how they'll rule because they have to rule on something and they can't say – and he had already said how he felt, and he said he would not recuse unless maybe it was his own personal lawsuit. And, you know, uh, Goodson, she, Judge Goodson was asked the same thing, and there's a good article in today's paper about that. And she said the same thing. She's not sure she would recuse. In other words, how ridiculous. he would be willing to sit on the bench and produce a ruling on an issue that she said she is against 
and will do everything she can to stop this. Now, yeah. I have a problem with that, and when people don't, we have three branches of corruption in this state. Well, you know, the thing that drove me crazy about it is maybe they didn't call out Sterling's name, but they sure did kind of uh, uh, seriously hint that, hey, you know, there's only one person who's running in this for this office that these people liked. So why would you vote for him if they're spending all this dark money around him? Well, the same reason why you would vote for him, even if there was no dark money. He's the better candidate. Well, well yeah, I mean, we've fought this battle ourselves many times in, in various forms. You can't get messages out without money. And if you have no money or not as much, it is really hard to get the message out on TV, radio, because other people that want something from government are more than happy to throw money at it. It's these people that don't want something from government that they want to they want to quash the, their speech. Yeah, but this so is Jan Morgan's a perfect example. This is but not. She has worked hard to get her message out with you know almost a fraction. No money. I mean, t- yeah. a tiny drop in the bucket of money that's been spent to preserve the status quo. Now, the thing about about Sterling is he has he can't talk to him to tell him to stop it. He can't talk to him to tell him to do it. He's not allowed to even come close to them. So they're well, just the doing it because they're own. Say, We've got to put a stop to this. And, and, of course, Hickson said a vote for me will keep uh, the governor from getting control of the judiciary and doing uh, appointments, judicial appointments. And I, I think that's that's pretty weak, but uh, at any rate, that's, that's his position. But I would encourage people to realize that, uh, you know, Judge Goodson had, what, a million and a half dollars in her campaign two years ago, running against Kemp, who had 300000 mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're all upset because someone from the outside comes along and sheds light on some of the activity because they brought the money to the table. And voters need to be educated. So is it wrong? I mean, I didn't hear in that last election any defense that no, that those issues were not true. Yeah, we ought to be attacking the, the, the truth of the ad, not the source of the ad. Yeah. All right, and guys. That's really the basis of the lawsuits. Is this defamatory? Would it win in court? Is it egregious? It's the Is speech that- police. Yeah, well, they've been out there for quite some time now. All right. We, we got a task force on that. Maybe yeah. we've got a task force on speech. Don't worry. I'm sure we'll have one. Yeah, we're going to have some. I'm, I'm, I've got some, uh, some legalese to give to some people to run through to give us First Amendment students on college campuses again. That's going to come up in January. I'll tell you guys about that off the air here in the near future. All right, a, a break, and then we'll come back and finish up our discussion with folks from Conduit for Action here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, talking about uh, Duck's Garage and our remote there Wednesday, don't forget that he's giving away a grill and a Duck's Unlimited picture and uh other prizes as well so put my name in the running for that ducks unlimited picture yeah you're going to want to come over and uh, put your name in the box to try to win i whenever a grill's up for winning i want to be in the drawing but i can't because i'm part of the show so i don't get to do it you won't get to do it either man that's it stinks unfortunately for you i'm not going to be anywhere close to that remote on wednesday yeah you're going to be out aren't you again yeah i got to go run around and and tour somebody around all the radio station properties on tuesday on wednesday 
How much fun is that? Yeah, it's yeah. like hanging out with a lawyer. I'm with you. I know, I know. You don't oh, have I'm to sorry, tell me. I'm sorry, Brenda. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> All right, Brenda and, and Joe are going to finish up with us here uh, in this uh, this uh, ha- this hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So I'm, I'm going to ask you guys to call them. I, get out your Swami hat and put it on. Look like Johnny Carson for a minute. Uh, Ballinger and uh, in his race, does he does he come out of the house and take over at the Senate or is it is it going is he going to be out of a job as far as the government is concerned? He is not going to win the race. Brian King will win the race, but he'll be right in government with a job for Mason. Okay, so King wins. All right, that's good. I'm I'm glad we're going to keep all these. Sturch against uh, Linda Collins Smith. Linda wins. Okay, Linda Collins. Gets a job with the governor. Okay, and then uh, the one between Peck and uh, Sullivan, right? Yeah, Dan Sullivan wins by a landslide. Peck has to stay in the emergency room. <laughs> All right. He's a, he's a physician, you know. Where, where he's qualified. Uh-huh. All right. Last question. You know what it's going to be, Jan Morgan or Asa Hutchinson? Jan Morgan squeaks it. Squeaks by. Okay. Jan squeaks by. All right. We've got you. You haven't mentioned our latest article, Dave. Have you seen that one? I have not gotten a chance to read it. I see it. I, I saw that you had released it. I, I, uh, In fact, I think, Brenda, you sent it to me. I just haven't had time to read it today, and I apologize. Well, it's a corruption article in, in the, the head of the corruption state. Uh, we had a we had a story not too long ago, a couple of years ago, that we had license plates. It was land of opportunity, right? And then one underneath it was the natural state, right? And then the one underneath that was the welfare state. <laughs> and we need to re- revisit that and put another one out there, the corruption state, because New Jersey hasn't got anything on us. Hey, do we, you we might be number one in something eventually? You remember the article? I think does a good job of attributing corruption, you know, to the people involved, but then tells those who turn a blind eye to it. And our governor, if he stays in office through through January of next year, he certainly has an opportunity to turn that around. His his nephew, Senator Jim Hendren, said he's going to focus on uh, the integrity of the Senate. And and I think it's time that the <laughs> I think that the people deserve better than they're getting. I got so you, Bill. All right, um, everybody should read that, conduitforaction.org. Check out that article, and I will check you guys out a week from uh, two weeks from today because Memorial Day is next Monday, and we will not be in studio, so I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. All right, bye-bye now. All right, Brenda and Joe here on the Dave Ellswick Show. we got Robert Steinbach. He's up next, our uh, legal professor, our law professor, We'll talk about the election and a lot of other stuff here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Our final hour of a Monday show, Dave Ellswick Show, and that means that none other than our law professor from the Bowen School of Law, Robert Stein, is with us. And Robert has his opinion and his opinion alone and does not necessarily have that opinion reflect on the Bowen School of Law or at uh, UALR. Now that we've got that out of the way, I can bring Robert on. And Robert, you can say whatever you want to say. How are you today? 
my friend. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. I I just like to make sure that I've got you CYA'd. Well, I appreciate it, although anybody who knows me probably knows that disclaimer to be true. Uh, it's helpful for you to say it, so I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know that your opinion, and it's your opinion alone. So, Robert, mm-hmm. we're we're into the final, the final few uh, days of the primary here in Arkansas, and right. uh, I've been talking with people on the air today. Jan Morgan, I believe, has uh, put up a valent to. Um, campaign has done well been out talked to a lot of people traveled the whole state but uh here's where i see the problem lies if we look back two years ago and we looked at the presidential election and trump was uh was here in arkansas and then you had cruz was here in arkansas and Mm -hmm. rubio came to arkansas Mm -hmm. and there was a huge huge turnout people from the moment early voting started were excited uh they were energized and lines were 20 25 for in time times 50 60 people deep you come to this primary and now this is for the governorship uh here in arkansas and you've got two republicans running against each other both uh, completely 180 degrees difference between the two of them and maybe 20% of the electorate looks like they're going to turn out. Right. I, I, right. I, I see that as bad news for Jan Morgan. What say you? Well, that's absolutely right because she's an insurgent candidate in a Republican primary. So the only way an insurgent candidate in a Republican primary can win is by stirring up the base uh, and stirring up excitement and interest. And she hasn't achieved that. So I I agree with you. Uh, Now, she always had an extremely steep uphill battle uh, um, against Asa in the first place. Uh, And I support Asa, uh, although I will say this. I like a little bit of insurgency. I like a little bit of not always being sort of middle of the road and stayed, you know, a little a little excitement from time to time. You want some bold uh, action too. Some bold action. I think that's I think that's a better way to say it in fact. Uh but overall I I think Asa is is the right choice and that's why I'm supporting him. Uh and as you say, I don't think there is enough uh, excitement uh, for Jan Morgan for her to be able to mount an effective campaign against him or, uh, yeah, an effective campaign in, in terms of beating him. Well, I think that she's run uh, a good campaign. I think she has, yeah. she's been out in front of the people. She's, she's, uh, I, I think has uh, shown the reason people are upset with Asa and uh, and turn to those people and gave them the opportunity to have a candidate that can hang their hat on. She certainly uh, is filling a spot uh, in a primary that is not just a protest spot. It's a real spot. But as you pointed out in the introduction right now, there's not enough excitement over her her or her type of candidacy to uh, threaten 
uh, Asa in any meaningful way. Yeah, and, and that's not saying that I haven't found some of the things that she's said very, very good, because I have. Oh, that's right. And, that's right. And uh, I, I, I have not said who I who I picked. I have not. I voted today. I'm not going to say who I voted for, because mm-hmm. when it comes mm-hmm. to a primary, that's up to the voters. It's not. Now, when we get into the general, that's uh, whoever wins it. If it's Asa, I'm behind him. If it's Jan mm-hmm. Morgan, I'm behind him. And I don't mean mm-hmm. just behind him. I mean I'm behind him. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so uh, well, I just need everybody to understand that. But uh, No, I, I, I think that's perfectly appropriate because the problem with someone, you're an influence person, right, by definition, as a radio commentator. And as an influence person, if you want to exert influence in a primary and then your candidate doesn't win, then what happens in the general, which is of greater importance as yeah. a general matter, no pun intended. And so that's why it's very difficult. People, of course, were deriding Rush, you might recall, during the presidential primary. Rush, who are you going to back? And Rush was resistant to that. And I think what his uh, thought process was, was what happens if my choice doesn't win? We've got to win the general. That's far more important. Yep. It is absolutely uh, the number one thing that that must uh, be done, because I'll I'll repeat what I've said, uh, if not a thousand times, 10,000 times on this show. The worst Republican is better than the absolute best Democrat. And I will vote for the worst Republican before I'll ever vote for the best Democrat. Well, we've had a number of Democrats in the governor's office, of course, you are well aware of. Mm -hmm. And we've had now Asa in office, uh, which is a Republican the first time in in a bit, right? Yep. Uh, and and we see the difference. So we know we simply don't want the 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 left of center uh, policies as the mainstay policies. And so it's not about personalities, and it's really not about party per se. But the reason we have parties is because they become a very good proxy for the underlying policies. And you and I and most of the state are right of center. And so needless to say, we want a right of center governor. And indeed, we want right of center politicians across the board. Uh, And so there's nothing unreasonable about uh, saying I'm going into it. Uh, supporting the Republican nominee, plain uh, and simple. I got I got to read to you today the worst political statement I've read in a long time. This is up in District 19 between Linda Collins Smith and and Sturch, and Sturch uh, denied using the language of that he's the only school choice candidate. Uh, he said he voted against the voucher pilot program because he heard from many of his constituents who opposed it, and he did not believe it was in the same vein as other bills giving parents more opportunities to pick their children's schools. Now listen to this statement. I'm not against school choice. It's kind of a misnomer because it's a voucher program. What is a voucher program but but the the ultimate school choice? School choice. I, 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 I frankly don't understand what he's saying. And I don't know much about either of those candidates. Yeah. But the whole point of school choice is that you get a voucher where yes. you can spend your money, so to speak, <laughs> on the school of your choice. Otherwise, 
there's no school choice. I got to tell you, if I were in that in that that district, and just just that statement alone would make me vote for Linda Collins Smith. I'm just telling well, you. Well, that's a that's a fair point because I, I I frankly it's the first I heard it, but I don't even understand it. I don't know what <laughs> I it don't means either. I, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be. No, I understand what you're saying. Right. I mean, he like, says that he says he's full school school choice, but he's not for the ultimate school choice. I remember when uh, our good friend Charlie Collins, who who you know I think is a great legislator was uh, advocating for campus carry, I think the first time around, and I testified on his bill's behalf, uh, and I was there with long hair. I had grown long hair for the first and only time in my life. I look like a hippie, no less. I remember that. You remember that? And I'm testifying for the bill, and there was this Democrat who said, well, I'm for Second Amendment and I'm for guns, uh, but uh, I think this bill is actually going to restrict the ability of people to carry guns. And and he, unfortunately, <laughs> I believe that he was making an honest statement. He wasn't. It was full of hot air. He's trying to confuse the issues uh-huh. so as to explain why he was going to vote against Charlie Collins' very good bill, now law. Uh, and I, And I kept saying... Sir, I, I just don't understand why you say that, but I'm happy to talk with you offline to see if maybe there's something there that needs to be corrected. And that was my mistake. There was nothing there that needed to be corrected. No. It was a whole bunch of shinola. Yeah. So I'm always cautious when people will make these statements like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm for the Second Amendment, but I don't think you should be able to own a gun. Wait, what? Okay, what? well, you, you hold on to that thought because yes, sir. last Friday— uh, Judge Hickson was here on my show. Of course, he's running for the Supreme Court along with Goodson and David Sterling. And mm-hmm. uh, he talked about dark money. And I want mm-hmm. I want you to hear what he had to say about the First Amendment. We'll talk about it. it. All right. We're going to talk Let's about it when we come back. Don't forget about my good friends, P.I. Roofing. You've known for a long time that they've been on my show. They've supported my show. And uh, they support it because they believe in the principles that that I believe in. And I talk about them because they are, if not one of the best, the best uh, roofing companies here in central Arkansas. Well, they have been fixing roofs for a long, long time now, keeping the water from getting in your home. But Joel Johnson, the CEO of the company, thought of something one day and that was what about all of the problems that are caused by the water that gets into your home the water that you know ruins your drywall or stains your ceilings or messes up your insulation or screws around with your ventilation or you know breaks uh, the soffit on the side of your house and you need some carpentry work well who fixes that and then he thought well, the the owner of the house has to get it fixed, and they're going to have to go through three or four or five different contractors to get each one of those fixed. So what Joel did is he went out and hired people with these type of talents for interior painting, exterior painting, carpentry work, drywall work, uh, insulation, pressure washing, all of that, brought them into his stable, and now when you have a problem with your roof, they can deal with that, but they also can fix the damage that the water did that got in your house. 
So get it all done in one place at PI Roofing and Home Solutions. 501-687-6246 is their number. PI Roofing on Google or piroofing.com. All right, back with you. Uh, Robert Steinbach is with us. He is a uh, law professor, UALR, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those those of the School of Law or the university. So last week I had Hickson on uh, talking about dark money. By dark money, we mean ads like this. Judges are supposed to be impartial, enforce the law fairly, and uphold the highest ethical standards. But when you look at Justice Courtney Goodson, it's just hard to believe that's true. Courtney Goodson has been taking gifts and big money from donors for years. She accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars from law firms with cases before her court. She even took a $50,000 trip to Italy on a donor's luxury yacht. While she was a justice, the Supreme Court asked you, the taxpayer, to give them an $18,000 raise. Making nearly $200,000 a year and living the high life on gifts from donors, greedy Courtney Goodson just can't control herself. Call Courtney Goodson at 501-682-9400. Tell Courtney Goodson, stop being so greedy and stop taking gifts and big contributions. Paid for by Judicial Crisis Network. Okay, Judicial Crisis Network is a... uh pack that uh, has people donate money to it and then they pick particular races they want to get involved in and uh, the candidates uh, may not have anything to do with them i mean they may not be talking to them at all they may not even know who they are it's just a, a group of people pooled their money and decided to use it in this particular case uh, they have been going against Goodson for the most part during this uh, uh, race, and Goodson got a judge to put a stop to the running of those ads, saying that they were erroneous and they were false. She used a judge that his wife worked for her husband, and he uh, stopped the ads. Then he recused himself, but he left his... Uh, uh, his order standing. Well, another judge took over on Friday, and he lifted the stay on those those uh, uh, ads. And uh, I had Judge Hickson on, who has been a, a, a guy who he thinks that a lot of this has to do with there's groups out there that want to see uh, the governor be the one who names people to the court and have to be passed by the Senate the way that the federal uh, law is done. Uh, David Sterling's been on my show. He says he has nothing to do with these people. He's never talked to them to say run the ads or talk to them to tell them stop running the ads because he can't talk to them legally. So with that all said, Hickson basically said something's got to be done by, about this. And I asked him, I said, but what about the First Amendment? And he says, well, I agree. Uh, we have to be very, very careful. But then he said the magic word, but. But. Which means that he does not see this as a First Amendment issue. He's wrong. It's a First First Amendment issue, uh, plain and simple. People can donate money to groups. Groups can endorse 
uh, and give uh, campaign ads for any candidates in any elections across this country uh, that they want. Uh, and of course, those who are on the receiving end of those advertisements uh, don't like them. I don't blame them. Um, and they call it dark money in some respects because they don't know who the donors are. Uh, and that's permissible. Uh, and so uh, I, I understand the concern, but the First Amendment trumps that concern. And, and, and speaking more broadly, so uh, um, um, Goodson uh, goes to trial court. The trial court judge uh, issues what's known as a uh, temporary restraining order, right. but a temporary restraining order regarding free speech. And there's a separate legal term for that. It's called prior restraint, right? Because I'm, I'm restraining you before you say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior restraint, which only applies to First Amendment, meaning temporary restraining order means don't sell that car, by way of example, because I own that car. That's a temporary restraining order on a car. Those are perfectly plausible. Um, temporary restraining orders on speech, on communication, uh, is extremely tough to get. And usually it's like somebody selling nuclear secrets or something like that (laughs) because of the First Amendment. So the fact that she got that determination by the trial court judge is very unusual. And then, as you said, the trial court judge recused himself. He left in place that order. And then it got split because there were two different jurisdictions. I think Fayetteville and Little Rock. And one judge upheld that prior restraint, which is very unusual again, and then the other judge uh, didn't uphold it, said, no, that doesn't satisfy the First Amendment. Uh, So uh, as you sort of say, the but is really the concern. Oh, it's free speech, but. But interestingly, the fellow, what's the name of the judge that you just mentioned, the intermediate, the Court of Appeals judge who's running for Supreme Court? No, Hickson. Hickson. Hickson had a, a, a separate issue against him. Some people were running some ads against him saying, oh, my goodness, Hickson ruled on some case where a criminal defendant who was accused okay. of something. I got, Robert, I got to have yep. you hold it because we're we'll going to do, do the news and we come back, pick we'll come up back right back. where you yep. left off. Today, Valswick show a break for the news and then Robert and I will be back to continue our discussion. All right. So. We're in with Robert Steinbach, as we are every Monday, uh, except next Monday, because that's Memorial Day, so we won't be here. Neither will he. But uh, we've been talking about this dark money. Dark money is money that PACs take in and do not have to tell anybody who are the people that are giving the money to the PAC. And uh, everybody gets all weirded out about that. Uh, bottom line is, it doesn't bother me at all. It just says that people want to spend their money on uh, particular candidates, and that's cool with me. But, uh, Robert, you were talking about Hickson and uh, his uh, whole First Amendment argument that he had. Well, it, it, relatedly, Hickson has been the victim of some awful ads that are just, as far as I'm concerned, disgusting. So apparently, he's, as you know, he's on the intermediate, the middle-level appellate court. Uh, some cases go straight to the Supreme Court. Some cases go to the middle court and then to the Supreme Court. And then a lot of cases just go to that middle court, and they act effectively, uh, for layman's terms, as the highest court on a particular issue. And some 
uh, uh, defendant was convicted of a crime like child rape or some other vicious, awful crime. But there was a problem at the trial. And the court, you know, all appellate courts, unlike a trial court, they sit with multiple judges. Yes. So you don't just have one judge hearing it. You, you know, like at the U.S. Supreme Court, all nine judges hear a case. And at the intermediate appellate court in Arkansas, I think they sit with five judges. I'm not even sure. So four out of the five judges, including Hickson, said there was something that went wrong with this case, and we're sending it back to the trial judge for him to do it over. Not that the guy is automatically not guilty or anything like that, but we've, it's got to be redone. And by the way, if you or me or any member of your audience uh, w- was charged with a crime and he didn't get his constitutional rights enforced, he too would want to appeal that. I don't even know what the issue was. But whatever the issue was, four out of five judges agreed with Hickson, uh, Hickson being one of those four, So, uh, 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 and they sent they sent the case back to the trial court. Right. And this ad goes on and says, oh, Hickson's letting a bunch of uh, child rapists out on the street. That is hogwash. That's inappropriate. I don't know Hickson. I don't know him from Adam. I don't know his politics. I don't know if he's a good or a bad candidate. But I know that that ad is disgusting, and it's so disgusting that it almost makes me want to come in just to vote for Hickson to respond to that type of ad. You know, here's the thing. People always say, oh, well, so-and-so got off on a technicality. There are very few things that truly would, if you look at it, be a technicality. Too often, when people use the word technicality, it's cover for violation of constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. And guess what? People have constitutional rights. We talk about them every Monday on the Dave Ellswick Show, and we believe them to be of preeminent importance. And so even if someone accused of being a criminal, and I'll even go further, even if the person is a criminal, he has constitutional rights. And if those constitutional rights are violated in a, in, in a fashion that warrants a reversal of the case, an appellate court should reverse it. So I would be surprised if Hickson sat on an appellate court and never reversed a case involving constitutional rights of a criminal defendant. They would be virtually uh, unbelievable and uh, unlikely that that could happen. So, of course, there's a case in his docket that wound up in a reversal. And to criticize him for that, and they're entitled to do it under the First Amendment, but they're wrong. They're wrong in the substance. The same way when we argue against liberals, we say they're allowed to say it, but they're wrong. And so I just wanted to highlight how wrong that ad was against um, uh, Hickson, is it? Yeah, yeah, and, but but yeah. here here's my problems, all right, because yeah. I can tell you who I voted for in this one because this is going to determine who the Supreme Court judge is going to be. This is not right. a primary. Right. Uh, right. This is the uh, this is the election. This is the actual election. So I I wouldn't vote for for Goodson because she knew when she went before that judge, uh, his wife was working for her husband and getting money from mm-hmm. him, and mm-hmm. she knew she she kind of had to the call in on that but uh, mm-hmm. so i i wouldn't vote for her uh mm-hmm. i i'm i'm voting for sterling i like david sterling mm-hmm. i think david sterling's mm-hmm. a upstanding guy and he's he'd be he'd be a great supreme court justice and mm-hmm. i'd like to tilt the, the court a little bit more to the right instead of uh towards the center left where it mm-hmm. tends to be i mean it's moving back right now but it That's was right. at a time in a bad way 
right. bottom bottom line is uh, it worries me that there's some people who are going to vote just the way uh, you would, Robert, uh, because uh, they say, well, that's a terrible thing to say about Hickson. And right. what did what did Sterling have to do with this when, in oh, fact, he, right. he has nothing to do with it? Oh, I've got I've got to uh, endorse your overall approach as the more rational one, meaning you should look at the candidate who best represents your uh, judicial uh, interpretation and vote for that candidate. And I've heard very nice things about uh, David Sterling. So let me uh, let me say that on the air uh, that I've heard very nice things about him. Uh, So I'm just so aggravated about this awful, awful ad about uh, uh, about Hickson. But you're absolutely right. I'm not David Sterling didn't have it to the best of my knowledge have anything to do with that ad. Uh, uh, and David Sterling is a solid candidate. So, uh, you know, I, I, I am slightly facetious, but I also am just trying to emphasize how exercised I am by how awful that ad against uh, Hickson is, but absolutely the rational approach is to look at all the candidates and decide whose judicial interpretation method is most in line with yours. Uh, and that's the uh, sort of the, 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 the less emotional response. Uh, and I just am trying to uh, comment on how awful an ad right. uh, I think that it was. But I agree with you. As, as, a, as a global matter, you should vote for the candidate that you believe will be the best judge. All right. So here's another question. And then Teresa has a question for you. She's a caller. And mm-hmm. and that's this. You know, when whenever I bring judges on, I typically keep them for like 15 minutes because my typical answer from them is I really can't say anything about that, Dave, because I might have a case come before me and I can't say how right. I would vote. Uh, right. But here's the problem with Goodson and now with Hickson. They have both come out and saying, these kind of ads are wrong and they should be stopped. And now when they both been asked, would they recuse themselves if something came up in front of the Arkansas Supreme court about it, they've said they would not recuse themselves. Mm. Seems like they must recuse themselves now. Yeah. I think that, I, I think if you uh, come out with a specific statement on how these types of ads are supposed to be interpreted, uh, and then that issue comes before the court, uh, you've boxed yourself in. And that's why, as you say, judges, as a general matter, don't like to speak about matters that could come before their court in the future. So I think that's a big challenge, and I agree with you. I think you've boxed yourself in as a judge. All right, let's talk to Teresa now. Teresa, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Say hi to Robert. Hi, Robert. Um, Dave kind of took where I wanted to go with this. Um, that case that was heard, heard by Goodson's friend, shouldn't have, he should have recused himself. And I can think of several cases here in Little Rock where a judge specifically has let his opinion be known, and yet he sit on the cases to hear them. Is there not a way we could get an administrator or something to oversee the court judges to make sure they step down when you know somebody comes before you and Good say, question. please recuse yourself? I don't know how you could do that. Does that make sense? It does make is sense. There, a, there is a method. There is a method. Thank you, Teresa, for, for the question. There is a method to deal with that, meaning a judge refuses to recuse, and if the party uh, still wants to fight that issue, they can go up 
to the uh, appellate court on, I, I think it's a writ of mandamus, I'm not even sure, but let's say a writ of mandamus and say, this person is inherently conflicted and the appellate court must remove that trial judge. It's a, it's a high-risk move because it's unlikely as a general matter to succeed, and then you've got to go back before that trial judge if you don't succeed in having him removed. So there's a real challenge there, but there is at least some process in place theoretically to deal with it, but I'm not going to tell you that it's sort of a, a simple uh, or ideal process. All right, Robert, we got to get our last break in. When we come back, I, I want to talk about the story that you sent me, but before we talk to that, I want to talk about something that's really got me concerned, and this is this FBI informant in the Trump yeah. campaign. This really concerns me so when we come back let's talk a little bit about that don't forget about sunny's auto salvage your number one choice for recycled auto parts you know i've used him twice uh for this 2009 corolla i got we put a new uh trans a transmission in from one of his well-maintained total loss vehicles and we put a new engine in only had fifty-eight thousand miles on it it's got a three-year parts and labor warranty on both of those different uh pieces and unlimited mileage so for three years anything goes wrong with either one of them they're going to get fixed absolutely free and every part that you buy from sunny's is guaranteed and comes with a standard warranty then you can get a one two and three year warranty on all the parts as well so go with recycled auto parts go with sunny's auto salvage their phone number 982 7451 Five, one. All right, final segment with Robert Steinbach, and I think I know where you're going to land on this. I want you to hear what Clapper, though, had to say first, uh, Robert, because it is the most weak-teed explanation I've ever heard. Here you no, go. No, I'm not. I think that's uh, actually a very disturbing assault on the independence of the Department of Justice, and uh, I think when... The president, this president or any president, tries to use the Department of Justice as kind of a, a private investigatory body. That's uh, not good for the country. So their argument is pretty clear, which is it's not about me. It's about we. Uh, they're spying on me. They could spy on anybody. This is dirty tricks. This is deep state. Uh, this is the surveillance that he feels <clears throat> happened in his Trump Tower, even though we don't have any proof of it. It's how they look at the FISA warrants. Dirty deeds. Uh, and he's going to look into it. It'll get political currency. He does have members of his party who back this. What's your concerns about the probe? Well, uh, for exactly the same reason, politicizing uh, what is a legitimate activity on the part, and an important one on the part of the FBI. They, they use formant, informants and have strict rules and protocols under this. And, but the big, the big thing here is this is not about spying on, on his campaign. It's about what the Russians are doing. Were they attempting to infiltrate the campaign? And that was the concern. And that was, uh, it, in my, my belief, is what the focus of, of this whole activity was about. Why do it that way? If, if the concern was the Russians are trying to get to the Trump folk, why not go to them openly? Well, this is one of many uh, techniques you can, observe, you, you can use or bring to bear, the FBI can, uh, in the interest of determining whether uh, there was 
uh, active efforts on the part of the, by the Russians to infiltrate uh, the campaign, whether it was his campaign or any other campaign. Uh, the important thing here is a foreign nation, particularly an adversary, trying to influence uh, uh, a, a political campaign. And that, that's not good for, for the country. In fact, we ought to think about it as, as, a, as part of the effort of, of the FBI to, to keep the nation safe and secure and protect our voting process. All right, man, there is so much to shoot there, Robert. Exactly. You, I, mean, I, don't, unbelievable. I don't even know where to start with this guy. This guy <laughs> is so filled with hot air. Isn't he the guy that went before Congress and literally lied to them? Yes, by it the way? is. It, right? They said, oh, are you recording uh, uh, tens or, uh, or more millions of people's phone calls? No. No. And, and the guy and the, the person who's asking the question knows the, an, the correct answer says, are you sure? And he says, yeah, um, uh, unless we're doing it by uh, unwittingly, by accident, that is. Uh, unless by accident means on purpose, uh, he's a big liar. So that's the first point. Uh, so I'm just not a fan of a big liar. You know, there are ways to deal with that. If you're before Congress and they're asking you questions that you don't think you can answer in an open session. We need uh, to go to a closed-door session. Right? Well, you say, listen, I think the American people don't have anything to worry about, but the details of any of our plans, uh, of any of our programs, whether we do something or not, are best answered in a closed session so we don't give anything away uh, to our enemies. So there are perfectly legitimate ways to do that. Uh, moreover, there seems to be on the left-wing media this fundamental misunderstanding when he says, oh, well, he's, he's treating the DOJ like it's his private attorney. Um, no, he's, he's treating the DOJ like he's the boss of the DOJ, <laughs> right? Like I worked in the DOJ yep. for many years, uh, for several years. That many might be an exaggeration for several years. And the president is the boss of the DOJ. It's president, attorney general, deputy attorney general, assistant or associate, and then assistant, and all the way down to lowly people like me who actually went into court and did stuff. So. The fact is that the president calls up his Department of Justice and says, I want you to investigate whether, whether something was done improper. Mm-hmm. That's it. He doesn't say, go out and arrest a bunch of people. That's wrong. And he right. didn't do that, just to be clear. He said, I want you to go investigate something. Guess what one possibility is? They could come back and said, say, we investigated it and, they, and nothing happened that was wrong. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that this notion that the left thinks that the president is using the DOJ as his own private attorney when he says, I'm concerned that there may have been spying for political purposes in the presidential election that I was involved in, go in and check it out. Yeah, I mean, every right to do that. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, these people on the left have become absolutely unhinged. And every time I watch, I just watched today something else on the the left-wing media, and they said, well, this is against... And then there's a pause, and I'm always waiting for what comes after the pause because they they got to say a law, a case, a statute, and they say norms. Norms? <laughs> what are those? What are norms? Norms are what people have done in the past. Guess what? Thing, one thing we know, president has shaken things up. So the fact that something has happened in the past doesn't mean that this president's necessarily going to do it. 
So you're appealing to the wrong idea if that's what you're appealing to. Yeah. Uh, and then they and then they just fill it in with hot air, like this guy does. The clapper is just so filled with hot air. It's remarkable. Well, it seems to me if there that there was they hadn't started the investigation yet. So why did no. they so why did they have to have a mole in his campaign? Who oh, or is, right, right. who ordered them to put a mole in that campaign? And this is where I think we got to start looking at Obama. Well, I want to know what the facts are. Here's the beauty of what the president said. I want to know what the facts are. That's what he said. So let's find out. And he said, and if they did something wrong, then we better deal with it. Plain and simple. I mean, what is so, the, what's the left going to do if it was President Obama I know it. that I know it. told the FBI put a mole in the Trump campaign, we want to know what's going on in there. And, and of course, historically, we know there have been, uh, 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 you know, under Hoover, abuses, yes. spying, and that kind of thing. Uh, is that going on again? And every time, by the way, you even go close to that, oh, you're undermining the FBI, you're undermining the field agents. No, we're asking questions because we want to have oversight. Listen, I'm the Freedom of Information Act guy, right? That's what I come and talk about, transparency. I want transparency. Guess what transparency often finds? Nothing. Well, Robert, Robert, they they said that this guy's life might be in danger. He's a freaking college educator. It, It had nothing to do with any kind of espionage. Well, that's the other thing. Every time, th- but this is what took place under Hoover, right? You'd ask questions of the FBI, and oh, we can't answer that. We can't answer that because you're going to put people's lives in danger. Oh, trust us, it's national security. National yeah. security, right? That's it. That's the knee-jerk response. But of course, the tables have turned, and now it's the left all of a sudden coming to the significant defense of the institutional operation of law enforcement, which they have always decried. They always said that institutional law enforcement is laden with implicit bias and all sorts of other problems, but now they're huge fans of of institutional law enforcement. Listen, I support law enforcement, unlike the left as a general matter, but I also support oversight, because the only way you have good law enforcement is if you have good oversight. Robert, we're out of time, brother. You have have a great Memorial Day next week, and I'll... uh, Get back with you here in the near future. How's it sound? You too. God bless. Talk to you later. All right. Robert Steinbach here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Power panel tomorrow. J.R. Davis is going to stop by. Other people may stop by. Governor may stop by. Be tuned in for the Bible Guys at 5 o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.